On this episode, we discuss Brain Smasher, a love story. The sequel to Hand Warmer, a glove story. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Flop House. I'm Dan McCoy. Oh man, it's me, Stuart Wellington. I like the excitement that Stuart is revving up for this episode, and I'm Elliot Kalen. Excited Elliot, oh. they call me. Oh man, it's him, Stuart Wellington. <laughs> oh, boy. oh boy, the original bad boy. And who's <laughs> wait? Who's you know this is going to be some trouble? Is that person in the distance, Stuart Wellington? No, we have a guest tonight, and that guest is. I'm April Wolf. Thank you. <laughs> she responded to her cue like a real pro. Uh huh. Well, and I'm a pretty professional director of that. Yeah, you're right. You're a real Ron Howard. Uh, well, I can really whoa, feel that dude. Forward, yeah. I want to see the movie Stuart directs where he's like, okay, you walk in and you have to announce yourself at the top of the scene. <laughs> the scene, ha- this is the end of the movie. I'm sure that people know who I am. No, no, no. You got to announce yourself every time. Okay, hello, I'm Clive Owen. No, that's not how you sound, Clive Owen. <laughs> so, should one of us say who April Wolf is, or should April Wolf say who April Wolf is? What's the best way of doing this? I, I can go in the other room while you guys decide if that's... <laughs> that's yeah, we should... Well, well, I'll tell you what, Dan. We'll, we'll all uh-huh. vote, but we'll vote silently in our minds. Okay. Okay. And then... That's a topical joke, because tomorrow is a big primary election in California. Where I live, oh, yeah. where April also lives. That's great. And this episode's coming out tomorrow, then? It's coming out way late, actually. <laughs> We've got one in the pipeline before this, so it's going to come out at the end of this month. Well, I'll, I'll mention that April is an actual, real, live film critic who actually knows what she's talking about with movies and not, like, a bunch of usses just kind of <laughs> yammering on about whatever. Um mm-hmm. And you may know her from such other Max Fun podcasts as the Who Shot You podcast or Switchblade Sisters, which are both great, and you should go listen to them now. But wait, yeah. listen to this first, <laughs> yeah. then go, oh boy, guys, I almost sabotaged our episode. <laughs> so, April, have you been brought on almost like the Adjustment Bureau to come on and correct all the errors we've made with Matt Damon and whatnot? Yeah, that's exactly it. I'm... <laughs> What's the tagline for that movie? Your life got adjusted. Your life got adjusted. And the tagline was, don't trust a guy wearing a hat. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and April is wearing a magic fedora right now. (laughs) That allows her entry into, what, the adjusting world? Like, what was, did Uh anyone see? I haven't seen the movie, so I don't know. Yeah, I, think I did that, see it, and I've forgotten everything about it. It's 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 kind of like that special world in the real Ghostbusters cartoon that the boogeyman lives in, which is connected by like what closets or under beds. Okay. Yeah, uh, right. I think that's the whole story. I just <laughs> imagine so. that show. I thought the Adjustment Bureau was just like a bunch of people in fedoras who like rotated your tires or something. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's. A guy who comes in and fixes all your uh, bureaus and drawers. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, oh, this drawer, this drawer is a little, it's a little sticky. It's sticking a little bit. Let's call in this guy. And he comes in with his magic fedora and what, kind of like waves his hand a little bit and it fixes. <laughs> yep. Are yeah. they, are yeah. they angels or something? What's, what is, so the movie we watched is The Adjustment Bureau, <laughs> right guys? <laughs> I was like, wait, was I supposed to watch that? <laughs> 
I mean, I think everyone was supposed to watch it, but I don't think everyone did. <laughs> I think the producers of the Adjustment Bureau would have preferred, yeah, if everybody had watched it. Yeah. Uh, but no, we did not watch that. And this podcast is a bad movie podcast. Yeah, not yeah, not in not that Justin Bureau certainly doesn't fall into that rubric. <laughs> yeah, we're not here no. to talk about American classics. We're here to talk about yeah. what, Dan? What do we do on this podcast? Uh, this is a podcast where we watch a bad movie and then we talk about it. And because we have a special guest in uh, Miss April Wolf, uh, she chose the po- the the movie that we watched. <laughs> the what, Dan? Were you about to say what were you about the to podcast that we watched? Okay, yes, that's what I, I thought you were going to say. say yeah. I was like, either uh, Dan's about to say the pot roast that we watched, <laughs> which doesn't make sense, or he's going to say the podcast, because over the years he's had trouble telling the difference in the words Elliot. that he uses between movies and podcasts. Elliot, a watched pot roast never boils. It boils. Wait, wow. so it never boils? Wow, you just crushed that joke, too. <laughs> Dan, I think you'll find that even if you don't watch a pot roast, it's probably not going to go bowling. <laughs> All right. Um, so we watched a guest selection. In this case, Brain Smasher, a love story uh-huh. from now, 1993, I think. Now right? April, oh, or as what? I call it, Jurassic Park Year Zero. <laughs> yeah. April, why did you choose this why? movie? I love this movie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but it's it's it doesn't work at all. But it somehow still works. There's a running joke about ninjas that isn't funny, but then suddenly <laughs> doesn't get, well, it gets slightly funnier. Uh, <laughs> I don't, there's, everything is wrong with this. Terry Hatcher, Andrew Dice Clay in a romance. And I'm going to say yeah. a popular opinion, but I think Andrew Dice Clay is a really great actor. <laughs> he's uh, great in I, Blue Jasmine. I, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. I and agree with that. He successfully played the part of a stand-up comedian people enjoyed for more years than I would have expected him to. Yeah, and he played a really great brain smasher. Yeah, he was of all the brain smashers in cinema history. He's the best. So, Dan, probably people yes. are like, if they haven't seen the movie, they're like, what could this movie be about if it's called Brain Smasher, yeah. a love well, story? It's exactly the kind that... of questions that Albert Pune wanted them to ask. You say... When he made the movie. <laughs> you say, if they haven't seen this movie... I think that's a pretty good bet. Uh, <laughs> I think it was a direct-to-video release. This movie did not have a theatrical re- release. It yeah. did. Dan, Dan's pulling up IMDb, and IMDb it, says it, movie not listed. I don't think it even had a. <laughs> I don't even think it had a DVD release. I, not in America. It's it was not in America. It, I, I think it was either Wikipedia or IMDb that one of the trivia things was it had a theatrical release in like Brazil. Yeah, like that's the I, one place I think where it was shown in a theater. I do believe it was on HBO a lot when we were young. Yes. I, I think I remember that being the case. I feel like I remember hearing ads on Comedy Central for it. That's possible, right? Yeah. It could have been on Comedy Central. Well, I mean, it's, a, it's hilarious. Comedy. It's, yeah. you know, <laughs> it's the funniest movie. I mean, Dan, whoa, whoa, Comedy whoa, Central has shown plenty of movies judgments. that were not the funniest movie. <laughs> like Stewardess School uh, and Ninja uh, Academy were on constant uh, rotation. Uh, a little film called uh, Cannibal Women in the Avocado Jungle of Death. <laughs> oh, you mean Comedy Central Filler, the movie? <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, guys. Let's talk about what happens in Brain Smasher, a love story, okay? Uh-huh. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Okay, the movie so opens. First, the first 
YouTube opens and you click, yes, I want to pay for this movie. <laughs> no, this is not a mistake. <laughs> YouTube has a number of dialogue boxes that come up being like, really? Yeah. Brain like, are, you sure, are you sure you're not a cat walking across the keyboard? <laughs> Like, I'm going to make you put in three different credit cards to prove that you're an adult human. I did have to put my credit card in three times today. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, it worked very, very easily for yeah. me. And then Candyman showed up. Yeah. <laughs> With all, these, all this stuff he had bought using your card. <laughs> wow, that's horrifying. It's mainly, it's mainly beekeeping equipment. <laughs> this is American Express. We see a lot of charges for beekeeping equipment and sharp objects. And candy on your card, and you don't usually buy that. Is that? And then? Oh no, no, I do usually buy. That. Okay, never mind. No... <laughs> they would call, They say you haven't, April. You haven't bought any beekeeping equipment this month. Is everything okay? <laughs> so, guys, the movie starts not even in yeah. media res. It starts with Enderdice Clay on a payphone, and he's like mm-hmm. calling someone. He's like, "You got to hear this story. What happened to me last night?" But nobody he's talking to on the phone wants to hear it. So he talks. He turns to the camera and says, "Hey, I'll tell you my story." <laughs> It's, it's one of the stranger openings of a movie. Not a, not a framing, like, spoiler alert, not a framing device that comes back at the end of the film. No. At the end, you're left with the credits, and you're like, wait, so is he is he just telling wait, me the credits? Wait, there's an, a post-credits sequence where he's, like, walking up to the payphone, and you're like, here we go again. <laughs> I mean, that would be great if it just, it, you finally see who he's talking to, and it's, like, a small child or, like, a baby. Yes. In the carriage. So what do you think? Crazy story, right? Uh, he announced he, he the Stuart Wellington School of Character Development. He just says to the camera, "Hi, I'm Ed Malloy. They call me the Brain Smasher." <laughs> See, Elliot, I was schooled by watching a lot of Saturday Night Live impressions, <laughs> where they just announced who they were at the beginning. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, but before we get to Ed Malloy's story, first he's going to tell us about. A supermodel, Samantha, played by Terry Hatcher, and uh-huh. there's uh, she is doing a swimsuit shoot, and everyone is surprised that she can read when she takes out and, a book to read in the makeup and chair. And this is this is pre Lois and Clark Terry Hatcher. This Her is pretty star early was Terry about Hatcher. To rocket into outer space. Wait, wait. that's what happened with stars. <laughs> she this was is... coming hot off of Tango and Cash, where she played drums at some kind of strange nightclub mm-hmm. while wearing pants as a stripper. And she is not she yet a in. I thought she was just a, a live drumming performer who rides a motorcycle on stage. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's enough of an act. You're right. I guess the stripping would she just has complicate to strip that. Too? Yeah, on. that's asking too much. She's just a double threat: motorcycles and drums. <laughs> and uh, this is pre-soap dish for all you hatch heads out there, or you hatchbacks. Mm. That's what Terry Hatcher fans are called: hatchbacks. But this is this is post for- Adventures of Ford Fairlane for all you dice. Uh, people. Yeah. I want to take a moment to uh, give a shout out to the writer director of this film, who also is the director of Dollman, uh, Alien from LA, and Cyborg. And Dollman shows up things. in the movie, not as himself, yeah. but. Yeah, Tim what, Tom. Yeah. Yeah. yeah wait, he, yes. sh- wait, he a, doesn't show up as Dollman <laughs> or the actor Tim Thomerson. <laughs> no, I was wrong on both counts. You're right. It was. But there, there's this great scene we'll get to later on where there's a bunch of cops in, interrogating them, and one of them is Dollman, one of them is, what's Brian his name? James. Brian Charles James Rocket. from Tango and Cash and Blade Runner. One of them is Charlie Rocket from SNL. Like, it's, they, I don't know, it's like this 
this weird, they're like, we got, we, he, the, the filmmaker's like, I'm going to call all my friends in for like one day just for this part. <laughs> it was whoever oh was walking by the studio at the time. <laughs> I would totally do this. I would, if I were those people, I would totally do this movie with Alfred Young because he is an amazing writer, director, and knows exactly what he wants. He said that this movie <laughs> turned out the most like what he wanted out of any movie that he really? ever made. Even more than you... Radioactive Dreams, or which is a crazy movie, or Kickboxer, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, more than that. So, because Radioactive Dreams is a movie I saw years ago about these two, it's after the nuclear war, but punk rock still exists, thankfully. <laughs> and these two brothers were raised on a diet of Humphrey Bogart movies. Now they got to go out into the waste, nuclear wasteland wilderness as a couple of gum-chewing gumshoes. And I don't remember any of the plot, except that they the movie ends with them being like, all right, guys, hit it. And they do this weird dance after after having an adventure. <laughs> that sounds amazing. It's a really fun movie. It's That super sounds like dumb. the... Uh... The uh, Takeshi Kitano uh, Zatoichi movie. Oh, well, but that's great when they it all have that dance with... at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, anyway, so Terry Hatcher's a model. A, a rich guy wants to marry her. He gives her a $10,000 watch. But she says, I don't want watches. I want love. And meanwhile, her sister sends her a package from London that she's supposed to. No, she's in London. The sister sends her a package from Tibet, Paris, Paris somewhere that she's supposed to bring to Portland, Oregon. Portland. That's where Ed the Brain Smasher lives. Oregon. Oh. <laughs> well, as in this so, movie, Oregon. I say Oregon. It's so it's meant to be a goof that it's like very Brooklyny Bronxy, but it's set in Oregon. Right? I assume that they were like it's weird because when Ed, there's a port where Ed Molloy introduced Clay goes back to his parents, yeah, and they're the most like dr- like tri-state Italian. Portland family, and <laughs> and I don't know if it's supposed to be an overt joke or if it's just like we need to get two people who could conceivably be like Andrew Dice Clay is not going to do a like a Pacific Northwest accent. Like we're just got to build the world around him, you know. But it's all shot, or almost all of it is shot in Portland. Like they're just yeah. No, I uh, I assume it, they just had tax breaks for Portland, and they're like. Uh... Yeah, I enjoy plays your classic Portlander. Can you can you go on the uh, Brain Smasher a Love Story tour in Portland, Oregon? <laughs> oh, I hope so. They can be like this is the you're walking now past the theater marquee where a benefit performance of Malcolm X was clearly shown in the background of Brain Smasher a Love Story. No one's <laughs> taking pictures of it and things like that. No joke though, my husband on our first date. Um, when we were just dating, he took me to that strip club <laughs> for a drink. What? And when I saw that movie, I was like, holy shit, I've been here. <laughs> and then he winked at you. <laughs> I knew all along. <laughs> yeah, he knew he was taking me on the Brain Smasher tour, and I had no oh, idea. That's amazing. That's that's a long con. Yeah. <laughs> that's like when uh, my wife and I took a, a trip to Paris right after we got married. And then we saw Midnight in Paris, and Woody Allen went to all the same places we went. And we were like, was Woody Allen following us on our vacation? <laughs> Elliot, I think I know what you actually said. You said, wow. Because, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I said, wow, Ernest Hemingway, wow. <laughs> I have my son saying that now. It's really funny. Okay, so Samantha, she goes to Portland, and she finds her sister, but her sister has been captured by this it's a sect of masked Shaolin monks who are wearing all, like, fedoras and 
trench coats like they're Dick Tracy are villains. You, are you sure they're not ninjas? Yeah, this is a, something <laughs> that, that gets brought up, as as April mentioned, every, I think, other scene, someone goes <laughs> like, oh, it's a bunch of ninjas. And they go, we're not ninjas. And later on, someone goes, oh, you speak in Chinese. They can't be ninjas. But I did some of my sleuthing, and I found that the leader of this group is a is an American of Japanese descent. So <laughs> he's he's making it confusing for people just by being there. But, sure. But this joke well, as about... An, as an extra textual joke, Elliot. It's a Japanese <laughs> man playing a Chinese man who's denying that he's Japanese. Oh, you're right. There's a lot going on there. That's very complicated. It's uh, this joke, it's like... Um, it gets introduced once, then it comes up again, and by the last scene, it's like every other line of dialogue is someone calling them ninjas and them denying it. And then someone, Terry Hatcher's like, if I say you're ninjas, then you're ninjas. And then two lines later, her sister goes, if my sister says you're ninjas, then you're ninjas. It's like, are they, do they think we missed it the first 40 times they told this joke? Yeah, you become unstuck from the movie, and now you exist in a realm where things are only ninjas or not ninjas. <laughs> I mean, we live in that realm, to be honest. That is a way of classifying the universe. Is, I mean, is that's this basically a- the entire Mortal Kombat role. Yeah, that's right. Ninjas or not ninjas. Yeah. We, we exist in a binary universe where zero <laughs> equals ninjas and one equals non-ninjas. Yeah. You can, everything can be decided by that. You look at any object, it could be a ninja or not a ninja, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, even, so, but here's a question. The movie Three Ninjas, would that count as a ninja? Would it count as three ninjas, or would it not count as a ninja because it's a movie? <laughs> or because it's multiples? Like, I don't don't worry about it. <laughs> anyway, uh, so they're monks, but they're basically a crime gang, and they want this, they want the mystical red lotus flower, because if you eat it, you get ultimate power. It's the key to ultimate power, and it's basically like an Infinity Gauntlet type thing, but in the form of a flower. But uh, it sounds a lot like heroin to me. <laughs> <laughs> what if it was like they're just like we want that flower? It's the ultimate high. You you hallucinate that you're the you're the king of the world, and then you die. It's amazing. But that yeah. Dan, would you give them the flower then? If it was just a a drug. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, why am I keeping it yeah, then? Yeah, that's why they call Dan the Candyman. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's not because if you call his name three times, he shows up? No. No, I mean, no, you call me once, I'm going to show up. I'm a lonely man, Elliot. <laughs> like, oh, someone wants me? Someone's interested in me? Sure. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, Samantha, she didn't bring the Lotus with her because she figures they're going to kill her if she has it on her. Uh, she leads the monks on a merry chase through the very wet streets of Portland. Uh, until she reaches the club where Ed Brain Smasher Malloy is the bouncer. And we see he beats up a gang of thugs who try to push their way in, and this guy waiting online goes, now that's why they call him the Brain Smasher. <laughs> and, and, and then he laughs and laughs and laughs. The movie is like, we better, this, the term Brain Smasher can be taken any number of ways. So... <laughs> We gotta show him hitting someone in the head and then it being identified as that is the titular brain smashing. Because otherwise, who knows what they might think it is. I mean, because if that guy didn't say it, we would have to wait until Andrew Dice Clay turns around and reveals that he's wearing a jacket that says brain smasher on the back. (laughs) Now, do you think, like, when when Drive came out and guys suddenly started wearing those, uh, like... Japanese jackets like he wears and dry like Ryan Gosling wears. Do you think guys were just yeah. walking around wearing, with wearing jackets that said Brain Smasher on the back? Yeah, Dan, you were alive back in 1993. <laughs> Do you remember that? <laughs> well, 
I mean, we're we're not that far off in age, Stuart. I don't know why I'm the one who has to. Yeah, but Stuart's kind question. of a boyish type, and Dan, you have kind of like an old man thing going. So, <laughs> yeah. do you remember the, when the brain smashing craze hit, and everybody was wearing <laughs> brain smasher jackets? Yeah, and the brain smasher dance swept the nation. Yeah, yeah, the brain just... smash. There is actually yeah. a brain smasher dance, though. That's the. <laughs> there is. There is. Did you see the choreography when they went into the concert? Like. Oh yeah, that's right. Oh yeah, yeah. It's all choreographed. It's like a weird. Like, it's a lot of jumping. Line dancing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh well, okay. So that's a good point. We'll get to that. I won't bother wasting time on my joke that brain smasher could have been taken as an oblique reference to the pangalactic gargle blaster. We don't have time for that kind of reference. Let's just keep moving because. <laughs> She runs into the club, unstopped by Ed Malloy. His bouncer abilities seem to be worthless on her. She just pushes past easily. And, uh, yeah, she ends up in the club where there's, like, this choreographed jumping dance. And it's a little bit like line dancing, a little bit like Native American jingle dancing. If you guys are familiar with that. Um, there's a lot of jumping in it. <laughs> you know and I am. <laughs> oh, yeah, big fan. Yeah. So good. It's good stuff. Uh, and they're... They're dancing to some fairly dour rock music sung by a woman with a very low voice. Like uh-huh. who's who's that that song that's in the in Royal Tenenbaums about how the woman goes out walking? She doesn't do too much talking. Yeah, Nico. it's like that, but deeper. And it's like mm. I was like, is this person doing like a Marlena Dietrich impression? But like, if she was a rock singer, anyway, I found it very confusing. And then she sings a song on the soundtrack later, and I thought it was a man singing until the song was listed in the credits. So that's this, me. This I've, I've like... certain gender assumptions that are not okay. Do it. This is the kind of club that vampire Chris Sarandon would go to in the Fright Night movie. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, it feels like it feels like somebody went. They saw or they went to the club in the beginning of The Hunger, where Bauhaus is performing, and they're like. This is a cool club. We're going to take this New York style and we're going to bring it to Portland. And when they got to Portland, they did not have the talent on hand that Bauhaus was providing in a major city. They also forgot the cages. Yeah, and the cages. They forgot the chain link fences and the cages, and they're like, eh, we don't need it anymore. Like, it's Portland. Things are just a little bit like more bespoke here. Yeah. We don't have to do that. And having those cages and fences might have protected them from what's to come. But let's get, we'll get to that in a second. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because. well, yes, I yeah. like that uh, the Brain Smasher seems totally fine with Terry Hatcher pushing his way past him. Pushing until, his way like, past, yeah. Push, sorry, pushing her way <laughs> past him. The guy, uh, the other bouncer comes out and is like, hey, uh, you punched out these two guys. And he's like, yeah, this this lady pa- you know, like got past me. though." And so the guy's like, a lady got past the Brain Smasher? And suddenly D- Dice Clay is like, you know what? My ego won't allow this to stand. I have to go find <laughs> Terry Hatcher. Yeah, and the assumption is also, so the implication is like, oh, so he regularly smashes the brains of ladies? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's a good thing he runs in after because the Lotus Monks storm the club. They remind everyone they're not ninjas again because they're going to keep doing that. They start beating up the band <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> I don't really understand. Like, nobody is, these ninjas could have just walked into the room no problem. But they just start beating people up and then jump onto the stage and start hitting the band. But the, there's that one part, like, the first woman, is, like, turns around, she's dancing, and she's drunk, and she's like, hey, ninja, dance! And then he just clocks her right in the face. Like, there's yeah. no, it's just like a split second. Oh, that scene is so weird. It yeah. <laughs> that was when that was okay. You could do that in a movie. <laughs> and still be a likable villain. No, it's it's a, yeah, it's, I don't, these these guys, maybe they're not ninjas, but maybe they should be. Because they say, I mean, 
I don't want to take the samurai side of things because that was clearly a feudal system that was not fair to those at the bottom who often defended themselves by joining secret organizations where they had to hide in the shadows. But ninjas, I'm really glad that you're making taking a big stand here. <laughs> <laughs> but, but so I'm not saying I'm pro samurai on this. But samurai looked down on ninjas as scum who hid in the shadows and had no honor. And these uh-huh. Shaolin monks supposedly they have no honor. Maybe they are ninjas anyway, deep in their hearts. Okay, so Andrew Dice Clay catches up with Samantha, Terry Hatcher, uh, and they he kind of escorts her away, helps her get out. There's some very disjointed banter that's like an attempt at, I guess, like a bogey bacall type thing where, where they're kind of like insolent with each other, but instead it just like – it reminded me a little bit of uh, the scene in Mentoring Candidate where Janet Lee hits on Frank Sinatra, and it's like they took – four different conversations and jangled up all the lines and just threw them out randomly. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Uh, I think he's just, like, negging her. I guess, yeah, it's that's like, true. It's just like the like the pickup artist, like, wrote the dialogue for him. Interesting. I did see <laughs> Mystery did have a story by, a story by credit. <laughs> yeah. um, anyway, and I, in my note, uh... Uh, I have I, my notes I've written here. The not ninjas joke is getting old. I had no idea that it would return <laughs> so many times. Uh, and so Samantha hires Brain Smasher to protect her. She doesn't have enough money on her, so she gives him the fancy $10,000 watch, thus beginning the next running joke of the movie, which is this watch being brought up and people going, Who, what kind of idiot pays $10,000 for a watch? And there's a lot of that throughout the film. And we never really get to see this watch. And I found myself being like, I want to see what kind of watch costs $10,000. Like, that's crazy. Oh, does it have a calculator in it? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. Like, Dan, how, what would, what would have write, to be in a watch if you write $10,000? You can write $10, boobs $10, on it. Uh, it is what? <laughs> you can write boobs on it if you turn it upside down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you turn up. Yeah, so you, how are you going to turn it upside down? It's strapped to your wrist. Nice going, uh, Brainiac. <laughs> Uh, what would I have in a ten thousand dollar watch? It would obviously have an image of Garfield, but the arms are Bart Simpson's arms, so it's Whoa. like yeah. fuck, it's like a fuck up. <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's like a misprint. misprint. Yeah, it's like it's it's like the stamp with the plane upside down. I love the idea. There are all those character watches of like Garfield or or Mickey Mouse. These characters who don't really care what time it is. So how can you really trust them to tell you? What the proper time? Like, yeah. I don't think Garfield knows what time of day it is. I mean, He's Garfield, a cat. He doesn't care. Garfield yeah, he, cares if it's a Monday. He cares certainly. about the day of the week, sure. But my wristwatch isn't going to tell me that. Now you're living in a science fiction world. Like it's just like binary. Time, right? Monday, not Monday. Monday, not Monday. <laughs> yeah, his whole calendar is just Monday or not Monday. But I think and the joy of getting a watch that has Garfield or some other character stuck in it is that it feels like they've been imprisoned and forced <laughs> to tell you, the, tell you the correct time for all of eternity. Oh, yeah, by some kind of wizard spell? Sure. Take that. This is the karma for sending Nermal to Abu Dhabi, where, where she had to be a migrant worker who was killed in a construction accident. Oh, that's Dubai. I'm sorry. I'm thinking of Dubai. I'm sorry. Oh, dear. Oh, boy. Uh, I'll issue a formal apology on Twitter tomorrow. So, uh, it's – and so <laughs> – Before the episode is released. <laughs> you got to so, get in front of it, dude. Yeah. I gotta get in front of it. Gotta cut it off. I'll be like David Letterman. The stuff he did, that wouldn't fly today, but he admitted to it years ago, so everyone's like, oh, what a national treasure with his big big old Santa Claus beard and all that stuff. <laughs> anyway, uh, so the monks start walking, and they walk everywhere. They're always kind of doing that kind of rush walk that people who are, have to get to the subway pretty fast, 
but they don't want to look stupid or uncool. So they just kind of walk like super fast. They do that everywhere. And uh, Eddie takes this time to explain his origin to Terry Hatcher, which is that as a teen, he was at a club and someone hit him with a bottle because there was no bouncer. And ever since then, he's devoted himself to bouncing. (laughs) (laughs) That was great. Because they felt the need. They had to explain why he does this. It's what? It's so sweet. Oh, yeah. It makes a lot of sense. (laughs) It's really, it's like one of those things where I can see why he was haunted by it for years (laughs) and went to bouncer school and devoted himself to it. He takes it. And the scar on the bridge of his nose is about as noticeable. I mean, it's it's like how Deadpool is super nervous that he's too gross for Marina Baccarin to love him when you're like, you look fine. Like, I don't notice the scar. That's fine. You don't have to. It's not that big of a deal. You don't need to be a bouncer for that. Well, it's like later he gets beat up and Terry Hatcher is like, oh, you look terrible. And all that ha- all they did was like put a little bit of dirt on the side of his face. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> like she has very high standards. Uh, they go to Eddie's got to get the keys to his car. So instead of going to his apartment, he goes to his parents' place. His mom, of course, is played by Jerry Seinfeld's mom on Seinfeld and shows she has range. She can play a Jewish mom or an Italian mom. That's a lot of range. Uh, Eddie asks his dad for $20. He's already, this is love interest material. He keeps his keys at his parents' apartment. He has no money on him. He's a bouncer named Brain Smasher with a label jacket that explains he, who he is that he clearly he made his, himself. He keeps his car registration on top of the fridge, too, apparently, which is the <laughs> yeah, weirdest thing car. to me. <laughs> like, why not just keep it in your glove compartment, dude? Maybe it's a Portland thing. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's just like he's taking it out every time being like, all right, if someone steals my car, they're going to get screwed if the cops stop them. <laughs> uh, the, they, uh, the monks, they leave and, they, and uh, the monks show up and tell the parents that they're psychiatrists who are after this crazy woman, Samantha, who's telling a crazy story. And they're like, oh, no, our son is in danger. Well, you should go to his apartment. It's over a place called the Lotus Cafe or something like that because every business in Portland seems to have the word Lotus in the name in this movie. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. yeah. And Portland is the city of roses, right? Not lotuses. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, as far as I know, that's the city of strip clubs. That's what I've been told. Well, that too. That's also why it's yeah. funny when later when they go to a strip club, the one you're talking about, it's clearly just a regular bar where they have one woman there. Yeah, it's like one woman in a tiny, tiny little stage where mostly it's just one woman. Yeah, it's so, like yeah. the stripping alcove and a lot of arcade games. Yeah. And I, I learned a lot about their uh, their forced cover policy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> their, their, their forced minimum policy. I was really happy, with, you know, when Dice Clay was just like, hey, you do what you got to do. It's just like, hey, I got to charge you. The minimum, and he was just so polite, you know? I mean, he knows so the bouncer's polite. code. And as his, is, yeah. as his mom says, he's never broke a law in his life. Yeah. He's, even though he, we've seen him smash brains. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> that's, that's not breaking a law. Yeah. No, that's that's not a law the breaking. police are like, oh, he smashed that brain in the line of duty. <laughs> <laughs> we find him not guilty. Uh, there's, I, yeah, this is a moment to uh, tell you guys about the funniest thing I saw one time in Portland, which was, as Dan, you mentioned, has a lot of strip clubs there. There was a strip club that was called, like, Pussycats or something like that. And then mm-hmm. across the street was an animal hospital. <laughs> <And> <laughs> I kept imagining some situation where a dancer slips and breaks her leg, and they're like, look, let's just take her across the street. <laughs> like, <this> is... <laughs> um, there was a situation once where I met someone who had been a stripper in Portland, and I mentioned that to them, and they did not find it particularly funny. But, uh, you know, who knows? 
But some people found this ninja joke super funny. Who knows? Anyway, great. Oh, thanks. <laughs> they go to uh, they go to Ed's apartment so that they can use the bathroom, and he teaches her his fighting technique, which he's called the one. Two. He calls the one two, which is just so, you punch a guy in the balls, and then you give him an uppercut to the chin. <laughs> so do we learn that he has been looking at a calendar with a picture of her on it surreptitiously, like? Because at one point he's looking at the calendar and then he like hides that and she mentions she was in it. So are we to believe that he has like, he has a crush on her already? Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he's nagging her. He's like, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll look at it someday when it's December, you know, maybe. Oh, God. Because he's, look guys, he's, he's a brain smasher. He doesn't know anything about the heart. The brain is the organ he's used to. <laughs> he's not mm. heart smashing out here. No, he's found <laughs> Samantha has smashed his heart, and he doesn't know how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, guess what happens? The monks show up and attack, because this is the pattern of the movie, is Samantha and Brain Smasher go somewhere, monks attack, they run away. Samantha and Brain Smasher go somewhere else, monks attack, they run away. Is this where That's This the- is where the monks climb the walls of the building. Yes. And they're climbing outside the window in the rain, and you can very clearly see that one of those monks has a support wire to keep the stunt performer from falling off the from falling off the ledge. Yeah, unless we're supposed to believe that the monks are using support wires this whole time. Oh, that would make sense, yeah. But there's a I will say there's a lot of really good like running up walls and flips in this movie at a time yeah. when like, it, it was exciting to see a movie where it's like, oh, these, this guy knows Hong Kong movies at a time when, like, I don't know, not a lot of American movies were doing Hong Kong movie stuff. So yeah. it's like, Brain Smasher is full of, like, and there's a lot of these long takes of people walking through hallways, like, a lot the, those, like, um, hard-boiled long takes type things, uh-huh. where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, like, oh, this, this movie is, is bringing all this stuff in that... I guess was only available in America in direct video movies, probably. Well, it it felt a little bit like it felt a little bit like somebody saw Golden Child and wanted it to be funnier with a less exciting star. <laughs> whoa, wow. whoa! What are you saying about I'm Andrew so Dice Clay? <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, Stuart, I said it was funnier. You can't, but it, it doesn't have the best part of Golden Child. That dancing Pepsi can. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I mean that's or the grossest. Yeah, go on. No, the grossest what? I got to find out what that. The one. grossest part of Golden Child, where he uh, dips into that oat bale and there's blood underneath it. <laughs> you yes. mean that's delicious? Yeah. Is that blood? Or I thought it was like strawberry juice. <laughs> no, Stuart, <laughs> you sweet naive child. Yeah, Stuart, you shouldn't have had seconds. <laughs> April, what were we gonna say? I think most people don't know that uh, Alfred um, Pian actually studied with um, Mifune, and. Um, uh, Akira Kurosawa. Really? Yeah, I'm not <laughs> even joking. He had an internship when he was in Hawaii. He got um, uh, a letter from Mifune to to come and be on whatever his next projects were, and he was a like a shadow director on all of them. Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So he learned from like the people who were actually making movies in in Asia at that time, and you can see some of that expertise. Like as much as I love just throwing. Tons of shade onto this movie. I'm like, this guy actually knows what he's doing. Like he's like his directing is not that bad. It's, it's not the, good. He does that thing where the camera is placed a little bit closer than you would place it to a person's face in an American movie. Yes, but not so close that it's an extreme close up. Yeah. Like in a the, in the movie Possession, they do a lot of that where it's like the camera's just a little bit closer to someone's face, and I love that. Like there's a lot of just like you're just like slightly closer than you would be normally, but it's not. 
up someone's nose or yeah. anything like that. So and, I, it's an exciting way to frame dialogue, guys. And you mentioned the like the ominous walking down hallways scenes, and that's like that totally still works. Like for no. There's nothing in the story that would make me nervous, but like watching in the movie, I'm like, oh, wow, this is pretty tense. <laughs> yeah. And there's nothing should make you nervous because the monks attack. Brain Smasher beats them up pretty easily. Uh, they bust into the apartment next door, which is Brain Smash's landlord, an old lady. Uh, she She's attacked by the red-mashed monk, who's particularly feral. There's always, in bad guys in movies, there's always the lead bad guy, who's the smooth, cool guy. He's always got his lieutenant, who's a little more rabid and angrier than he is. And in this case, it's the red mask guy. Uh, and she, she like tries to give him the old one too, but it doesn't affect him. And the old lady has the immortal line. This guy's got no nuts, which is the <laughs> flip side of the immortal line. Wolfman's got nards from oh, monster yeah. squad. <laughs> yeah. So that's another binary right there. Ninja, not ninja, no nuts, got nards. This yeah. is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I remember that old, uh, that old advertising campaign got nards. <laughs> <laughs> they were that was from the what the the testicle farmers council. <laughs> Did that? It was <laughs> weird. They they also advertised that as the other white meat, which I didn't. I was not behind that. Too no. far, Dan. Too no. far. <laughs> Too far. All right. I'm sorry. You maybe shouldn't talk for a few minutes, or as it's also known, Dan in the second half of an episode. Oh! Oh, man! Stick of organ Dan! That's not uh, true. I read letters. That's true. Good point. Good point. Oh, wow. Touché. Himself up on that oh, fireballs back and forth. Uh, there's a lot of monks leaping around hallways. The cops arrive, and they arrest Eddie. And he gets questioned by Brian James and uh, and Tim Thomerson, and that was super mm-hmm. exciting to see Dollman slash Tr- Jack Death and uh, what's his name? What's the character? What's his name in Blade Runner? Brian James' ca- character. He's the one who says, "Wake up, time know. to die." Right? Yep. I don't remember. Uh, I can't remember. Anyway, and uh, and he's anyway. the guy who speaks with the hilarious fake what British accent in, in Tango and Cash. Cash. Oh yeah, he's got that terrible English accent, and they. They, they they stick a grenade down his pants to get him to talk. Uh huh. No. Anyway, mm, I think the grenade blows up and kills him when they stick it down his pants. <laughs> oh well, yeah, I, I guess I, I watched in my head. I was playing the TV edit. I guess. In the movie. <laughs> but uh, and they're inter- they're interrogating Eddie. They think Samantha's involved in drug smuggling, and that this red lotus is actually drugs. And they're trying to get him to to flip on to flip like Flynn. They're her. super aggressive about it too. Like oh, yeah. they're like they're they threatened like him with punching. <laughs> yeah, they're like this is drugs. This is drugs. Stop, stop pretending it's ninjas. It's drugs. Like, and they have like all these uh, these these eyewitnesses. They're like, oh, a bunch of ninjas came by, and they're like, <laughs> what's with the drugs? Tell me about the drugs. It's weird. Uh, it there's a weird. then, but of course. The monks invade the police station, and I guess this was their version of, like, the police station scene from Terminator, probably. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah, exactly yeah. like that. Yeah, but instead it's monks, and uh, they cut the phone lines, and they're beating up people all throughout the station while they're still doing the interrogating. And it's like, at some point, they've got to hear all this fighting that's going on <laughs> in the other parts of the police station. Uh, guess what? Eddie and Samantha escape. 
Samantha very briefly has a cramp in her neck, and Eddie rubs it for a moment. <laughs> it is, it's, it's such a – and what's great about this is there's three things that are great about this. One is that this is He-Man geography, where in the He-Man cartoon, he would often pick up a bad guy, throw them off camera, and then they were just gone. That was it. Not a problem anymore. <laughs> so, like, Eddie and Samantha are running from the monks. They turn a corner in the hallway, and they're like, oh, phew. Hey, my neck has a cramp. Can you rub it? And it's like – like you're still in the same building. And uh, number two, it's uh, just it's, it's Harry, Samantha is, delivers it as if it is totally made up anyway. And then Eddie, he he starts to like fake come on to her, I guess. Yeah, kind fake being fake, a creep. Kind of like kind of fake, kind in order to get her to move. But it's also one of those things where he's like, uh, I'm gonna pretend that I'm flirting with you, but like maybe you're into it. Like there's so much gross stuff going on in it, but it comes yeah, out of yeah, nowhere. It's like. It's like yeah, maybe me and my stepsister, even though you're my stepsister, wouldn't it be weird if we made out or something? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like that sort of thing. <laughs> it's, but it's like in this movie. I'm, where... I'm writing a movie, guys. I was just throw, throwing you some test dialogue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm writing a movie. It's three minutes and 50 <laughs> seconds long. You can find it online. <laughs> uh, and it's just in, well, it's and it's a preview for a longer movie. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so the, uh, oh, but it's in this movie where there's like, these uh, kung fu monks that are chasing after a guy named Brain Smasher. The thing that seemed the craziest to me was that she would suddenly stop in a hallway and go, "Oh, I got a cramp in my neck. Can you rub <laughs> it for me?" It's just, it's super forced. Um, we learn that the lead monk can catch bullets in his hands, uh, yeah. and which, and he throws it back so hard that it goes right through a cop's forehead and kills him. And That's that was, so cool. it's a great moment. It was yeah. like one of those moments where I was like, "Wait, what?" Like. <laughs> Uh, you're like, oh, the power of Andrew Dice Clay is uh, suddenly seems so weak in comparison to these monks. <laughs> but it's also how come he keeps beating them up all the time? Yeah. Like, I don't want to pull back the curtain too much, but uh, Dan and Stuart and I are doing a show soon where we watch a different movie where someone catches a bullet and throws it back at another person. This was a major Hollywood release with big stars in it, and it looks so goofy and bad in this version of the movie. But in Brain Smasher, it's a pretty fun thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> even though the, the bullet wound is clearly just like a circle, like a very sharply defined circle of probably like a, like caro syrup blood on his on his forehead. Oh, yeah. It's a uh, – anyway, Samantha and Eddie escape. But Eddie's like, oh, no, I'm running out of juice. I don't think I can fight this. They can catch bullets. This is amazing. And she's like, the bullet catches an easy trick. It's, it's blanks in the gun, and then there's – he's already got a bullet in his glove. And he's like, don't ruin the trick for me. I want, when I watch The Prestige, I don't want to know how they do it. But <laughs> he's outmatched. And Samantha's like, I can't believe that you're talking about quitting. And this is one of those things where I was watching the movie, and I'm like, they've only known each other for, like, 20 minutes of real time. But she's already like, you, the brain smasher, you're going to quit? This is crazy. <laughs> uh, they part ways, much like Shrek and Donkey do in Shrek. And go, and <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what it says in the script, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> it says, imagine a future movie with future star Mike Myers. <laughs> He was a star in 93. Yeah, come uh, on. Wayne's World was big, was huge then. Wait, in 93? When, when yeah. did Wayne's World come out? It was already on the SNL TV show. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Mm. I'm going to look up when Wayne's World's going. You keep, you, you keep talking. You do that. You, <laughs> you look up when Wayne's World came out. Because, Dan, it's Wayne's World. We're just living in it. 
All the, right, thanks. The worst thing would be if it was Wayne's 92, World 2. 92, 92. You're oh, right. interesting. 92. The year before, Mike Myers, huge star. Number one box office hit, probably. I don't know. <laughs> All right, thanks. Dan, look up, look up its box office performance. Okay, that'll yeah. keep me busy for a while. <laughs> yeah. That's what you're trying to do, right? Dan, I'm just trying to task rabbit you so he can get on with the plot. <laughs> that, uh, uh, the monks track down Samantha. They're following her on the street, and uh, Eddie appears and fights them without her knowing behind her back. But then they get away again. And the monks, she calls the hotel that her... She gets a voice message. She calls her messages on the phone, because this is pre-cell phone days, and she probably has, like, an answer phone service. And she and there's a voicemail saying, oh, hey, your sister's staying at this hotel, and she said for you to call me. And so she calls the manager and says, oh, yeah, my sister's there? He's like, yeah, meet me at this place. Okay, great. I'll take you where your sister is. And then we show that the lead monk is there and tricked the manager into doing this. Why he had to do this since we've just seen the monks literally following like 15 feet behind her on the street, I don't know. I guess it's a series of redundancies because every good system has a redundancy built in just in case. By the way, Wayne's World, Wayne's World was the eighth highest grossing film of 92. So <laughs> Yeah, but I wanted opening weekend box office. Yeah, yeah, oh, it was yeah. number one at the box office. Yeah, it was. Uh, okay, I think you. it says. Wait, it says Bafo Bo. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, its body odor was Bafo. <laughs> um. So they uh, Samantha goes to this bar where she's, I guess, supposed to meet the hotel manager. I don't remember exactly why really she went there. That part. Yeah. She's meeting somebody there. She goes to a bar. There's a woman stripping there in a little stripping alcove, set off to the side of the room. Uh, and there's a ton of arcade cabinets that nobody is using. And I just couldn't – I had to know what games they were, and I did not freeze frame to find out. The manager of the place hits on her, and she gives him the one-two. She's already learning stuff from the Brain Smasher. Eddie walks in. Who's the, uh, like, who's the, who's the manager? Is that like – he has a name, right? He calls Downtown himself – Downtown Ronnie. He calls, he calls himself, himself Romeo. He calls himself Romeo, yeah. but it's not his real name. <clears throat> and uh, so he's not the title character from Romeo is Bleeding. So I don't, no. I don't know what thanks. else about him. Oh, thanks for the clarification. Or Romeo plus Juliet. <laughs> Dan, yeah, Dan, what's it equal? Did we ever find that out? One? No. <laughs> it, it equals fun. <laughs> <laughs> that was the original tagline. I mean, yeah. it kind of equaled Moulin Rouge, right? <laughs> yeah, <I guess. laughs> That's a good one. Do you guys remember when the movie My Girl came out? And there was a there was a commercial that <laughs> yes. was like, "Get ready for the wildest, the wettest, and the wackiest adventure." And my sister went to go see it, and she was like, "He dies at the end." <laughs> she was like, "It was neither wet nor wacky." <laughs> it was. I think there's a scene of them jumping in a lake or something for for wet, but it, for wettest it was like it was a very misleading commercial. Yeah, yeah any trick the kid. Yeah, anytime, anytime my wife sees a trailer that lies to her, such as, I don't know, The Lobster, she's like, that, that fucking trailer my girl me. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, Eddie comes in, and uh, she says, what happened to you? You look terrible. He looks the same. He just has some dirt on his face. They flirt. Eddie doesn't like this bar because it doesn't have a bouncer, and she calls him a straight-up guy. What happens? <laughs> the monks show up. Samantha insults them a lot. There's a fight. Samantha runs away and puts on a disguise, and she's protected by a a Rubenesque dancer who hits the, thing, the monks with her boobs. 
not to bring up Mortal Kombat again, but I do like how, <laughs> do like how this dancer and then Terry Hatcher's later uh, disguise makes her look like Sindel from the Mortal Kombat games. <laughs> and so this is something I want to ask you guys. Terry Hatcher changes into more revealing clothes. They're like super tight shorts and a see-through top. And she uh-huh. keeps and she puts on a wig and a cloak because <laughs> I guess yeah. she's 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 escaping as some kind of sorceress wizard uh, stripper. But uh, yeah. or maybe that's maybe it's like you know what it's like that Empire Strips Back thing that's been advertising all over L.A. It's like a Dungeons and Dragons themed strip show, so that's why she puts on a cloak and it's like her cloak of visibility. Do you guys? Does that make sense? Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. So, so I bet yeah. in her mind when she puts on the disguise, she's like, I better come up with a backstory. Well, it's like a D&D themed dance because I'm always looking for ways to – it's like flash dance. I'm always looking for ways to push the envelope and like really mm-hmm. express myself. And she's like, I wish the burlesque movement was the, yeah. it was at its peak now because yeah. that would be more fitting for me, this kind of dancer. OK, I've got my character. Yeah, it was most likely – it was most likely, as I said before, a Mortal Kombat themed strip show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which would be called what? Uh, uh, Dan. Uh, uh, Stuart. Uh <laughs> – <laughs> oh no, a redirection. Um uh Mortal Combat with a C U M. No, gross. I think that's too harsh. I was hoping no one would say that. No. Well, like that uh, wait, wait, wait. Mortal Combat. Alright, that's better. Oh, no. <laughs> but I, Mortal Combat? I like <laughs> oh, that's yes. the worst one, yes. yes. The, only I like, one I could... the first one though, I like the idea of like there's come and you use a butt, a bat to hit it. <laughs> yeah, you're hitting that. You're hitting yeah, that yeah, come with your come bat. Get that out of here, man. Yeah, just to get it away from you. <laughs> yeah, Dan. In baseball in the year twenty one twenty five has become a very different sport. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Instead of you have a pitcher, you have the ejaculator. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It makes it very hard to come up with taunting rhymes because you say we want an ejaculator, not a. Doesn't rhyme with belly itcher. What are you gonna yeah, say? Yeah. Mm-hmm. A smackulator. And you're again, like, what's again, a smackulator? Doesn't work. And you the say, pitch- shut up. <laughs> shut up and just play the game properly. And then uh the uh the Philly fanatic, who at this point is has been in numerous porno films, I have to assume, uh he's just he just shakes his head like disappointing guys. Disappointing. Yeah. <laughs> sure, yeah. Anyway, uh, anyway, we don't, we don't have to spend any more time on that Mortal Kombat themed burlesque show. But uh, so she she creates this character. She puts on this disguise. She walks past the monks. They see through it instantly, and she doesn't even she doesn't even sell the bit. She just takes her wig off, takes the cloak off, and she's running around in this outfit for the rest of the movie. And I want to ask you guys: Did this seem as gratuitous to you guys as it seemed to me that she changes clothes for one moment for a thing that doesn't work, and then she's just stuck in that outfit the rest of the movie? That was definitely uh, mandated to get like money for the movie. Like that's what. But she had to dress up in like a sexy outfit at yeah, some point. Yeah, like, that's what they do. They're like, "Hey, show a woman's tits at least four times, and then they sign a contract, and that's like contractually obligated." Hmm. To, like a woman's nudity or half nudity is like obligated for uh, finances. Hmm. And seriously, <laughs> that's that's how the business works, Elliot. I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. When I moved out to LA, I thought it was you know. Glamour. That was the dream stars. factory. Judy Garland, Mickey Rooney. Yeah, the dream factory. Exactly. I thought it was going to... It's like the end of the Muppet movie, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that, is that sad? The end I of the Muppet movie? It's, it's like... The end of the Muppet movie is weird because they get their movie contract. They start making their movie, which... Lo- they're also doing all the sets, which okay. seems weird because Hollywood is a union town. 
So it's like... Yeah, what, that's so anti-union. What kind of studio is this Orson Welles running yeah. that the Muppets have to... They're already not in the Director's Guild. They're not in the Screen Actors Guild. They're not in the Writer's Guild. And they're making their own sets. And then everything falls down and explodes because of Crazy Harry, who is a, a maniac. I don't know why they keep him around. Yeah, that's like a liability. You could get sued. Yeah, exactly. Obviously. And uh, then the ceiling crashes in and a rainbow comes through. And it's kind of a happy ending. Dan, yeah. you're you're the you're the resident manic muppet maybe maniac. Is that a happy ending or a sad ending? Uh, like everything that involves the Muppets, it's a bittersweet ending. Mm-hmm. It's a uh, look. Life's like a movie. Write your own ending. Keep believing. I do cry every time they get to that. Part. Keep pretending. No, it's beautiful. I mean, yeah. like, it, I mean, their movie has been destroyed, obviously, but uh, but there's a you know all the Muppets are together. They've got a rainbow. They've made the rainbow connection. <laughs> yeah. Now, Dan, good. now, the Muppet movie is a great movie, but you have to admit that yeah. the movie they're making looks pretty bad. I mean, I have that problem much more with uh, Muppets Take Manhattan, where I'm like, this musical sucks. <laughs> this is like <laughs> sub-Mamma Mia-level musical that they're putting on. You're like, there's but, so few Broadway houses out there that aren't taken up with jukebox musicals that are long-running for the tourists, and now you're going to yeah. take up one with this garbage? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The plot when the Ragtime is- <laughs> Revival closed in less than a few months? The entire plot of this movie, this musical, seems to be that somebody's getting married. <laughs> and, and they do sing excited. a song that just goes, somebody's getting married. Yeah. It's all, somebody, 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 somebody. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's it's like not as good as Porcupine Racetrack in terms of actually being a musical. No. Right? <laughs> yeah. The state's Porcupine Racetrack, yes, a sketch making fun of musicals is a better <laughs> musical than the Muppets musical. Well, hot takes. A lot of hot takes flying around in terms of Rain Smasher. Okay, so uh, Samantha's wearing <laughs> her sleazy outfit. She runs away. Eddie is captured by the monks. Oh, no. Uh, Samantha gets to the church where she's supposed to meet her sister, and she admits to her sister that she might love Ed. And this is when the sister explains that eating the lotus flowers gives you godlike powers. Whatever you want happens. And she gives like three or four examples of this. You think of a horse, you get a horse. You think everybody loves you? Everybody loves you. You think uh, you have your own TV show? You have your own TV show. And I wanted Samantha to be like, yeah, I got it. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> like, this is pretty clear. Meanwhile, Wu, is, Wu, who's the leader of the monks, whose name I forgot to mention earlier, he's just breaking Ed's fingers for no particular reason. Uh, they, everyone decides to meet up for an exchange at the club where Ed works. They're going to trade Ed for the Lotus. And mm-hmm. this somehow becomes Wu threatening Eddie... So he's going to kill Eddie unless Samantha says out loud that she loves him. Mm-hmm. And the, the logic is very tortured as to why Wu wants to hear this or what this... Like, because he's a romantic. <laughs> so he's like, he's like, I wanted ultimate power, but I'll settle for being a Cupid for you two. Like, <laughs> like Wu has become such a yenta in this, in this mm-hmm. moment. Uh, <laughs> but Samantha has a gun that she got somewhere. Where did that gun come from? Do you guys remember? It's America, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's it's an indictment of our society. Yeah. I wish Brain Smasher was like, no, I don't use guns. Yeah. Which was very interesting, a very interesting statement on his part about culture in America. Yeah. He was, and he said that even other bouncers at the clubs carry guns, but he's not going to use them. There's no honor in it for him. Yeah. (laughs) There's no honor in it. He's a regular ghost dog. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So they, uh, they throw they it's like they start shooting the monks they uh and Samantha's sister goes catch and throws the containment unit with the lotus in it 
to Wu. It starts skittering all over the floor like an antidote in a Temple of Doom, Shanghai nightclub. And yep. Ed and Wu are scrambling for it, and Wu just starts kicking everybody. It's just like he's kicking Samantha, he's kicking Eddie. Like <laughs> yeah. It's all kicks. And then finally, Eddie, he, he realizes Wu's secret weakness. He, he can't kick you if you hold on to his leg. And he catches his leg and then punches him in the face hard enough to smash his brain. Yeah, that's and the thing. So- I, thought, I thought that was going to be like, he discovers a secret weakness that his brain can be smashed. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, do, uh, April, do you want to describe what it looks like when your brain gets smashed? This is the first time we really see it. Oh, my God. It's just like um, what, like a Sharpay dog or something, but like in the <laughs> eyes. <laughs> it's like he has two craters where his eyes would be. Yeah, yeah, two, two big Craters, like, like really wrinkly. In. Yeah, very wrinkly. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's just and it, an old man's neck on his face. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily even look like the shape of a fist hit it. It's like, <laughs> no. <laughs> like, like somehow he got deflated a little bit and his eyeballs like got sucked <laughs> into his head. <laughs> it's like part of his face got got replaced with, like, an egg carton, but really wrinkly. Like, yeah. you put crepe paper all over an egg carton and then stuck it in his, his eye sockets. Yeah. It made me yeah. think of the Who Framed Roger Rabbit when you get, you get steamrolled. Oh, yeah. And then the eyes kind of bulge kind of thing, but, yeah. But the opposite. Yeah, he just got flattened with the eyes inside. They're not exploding. <laughs> just inside yeah. his brain. He's I like, don't know, I can't tell. Well, it's like how some bullfrogs, they close their eyes when they're eating because their eyeballs actually push the food down their throat <laughs> while they're swallowing. <laughs> it was like that. Yeah. So you got to assume looks, that... He looks, looks a little bit like if you went up to a sketch artist at a Comic-Con and you're like, I want you to draw E.T., but he's a man. <laughs> 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 the sketch artist is like, okay, I'm getting like paid nothing to do this, so uh, I guess whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do it, dude. I guess I'll fulfill your fantasy here. <laughs> it's, it's, it's good to just t- take time off of drawing Nate, nude Aunt May in that guy's sketchbook. <laughs> people do. I remember once being at a comic book show, and, uh, and a, I was talking to Evan Dorkin, and this guy walked up to Evan Dorkin and was like, hey, can you do a sketch for me? He's like, yeah, sure, what do you want? He's like... Well, the theme of this book is supervillains drinking soda. <laughs> and he looked at – and Evan Drunken just looked at him like, what? <laughs> like, what <are> you? <laughs> oh, so, boy. The, uh, anyway, Wu, despite having his brain smashed and his eyes pushed in, he eats the lotus and then promptly dies because <laughs> Samantha's, Samantha's sister swapped in a poisonous substitute for the real lotus. Why she didn't do this from the beginning. Earlier? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. And then she leaves, and they're like, "Hey, so and uh, so was it? Was it? Would it have worked if he ate it?" And she was like, "I don't know. I don't believe in that stuff. Like, I'm a botanist. I don't care." <laughs> Did she truly? I don't think she cared. She's like, "Well, you know, whatever." Yeah, she just just wasn't interested she, in it. And she just and, brushes off like killing a dude through poison. <laughs> Actually, that's true. Eddie has smashed a man's brain, and now he has the moral high ground because he didn't she, he didn't trick someone into eating poison <laughs> and dying. <laughs> it's also, throughout the movie, people, they keep saying, we're being chased by these killers. These guys are killers. But we never see them actually, I guess, except for the cop that they throw a bullet through the head of, who shot at them first. We never see them kill anybody else. They just kick people. But then they just, the Samantha's sister just straight up murders him. Anyway. Uh, so that, that actor, um, uh, Pian was obsessed with the Warriors. Mm-hmm. And that actor who plays Cammy, the sister, she's Marie from 
Oh, familiar, but I didn't. This is kind of like a like an all night kind of um, traveling through crime kind of thing from Monty Parker in a kind of warrior's esque situation. That adds so much more emotional resonance to the movie than anything that happens in the movie. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> uh, and so uh, Ed compliments. Ed and Samantha are left alone with a bunch of dead monks in this nightclub, and uh, he compliments her hands, and she admits eventually that she likes him, and then they both admit that they love each other, and then they kiss. Credits roll. We never find out who Andrew Dice Clay was telling this story to. As we said, the framing <laughs> device does not frame. It's like when you have one bookend and the other bookend is missing, so the books just fall down a lot. Yeah. So, Brain Smasher, a love story. It lives up to the title. <laughs> yep. It has a brain smash in it, and it's also a love story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> As they say on the internet, it does what it says on the tin. It's, uh, it's 100% there. <laughs> now, I have never saw a Pyromaniac's love story. Is, this a, is that a similar movie? April? No. <laughs> All, right. All right, fair okay, enough. There's, there's also Risk Cutters, a love story. Oh yeah, like and there's also it was like a trend. Yeah, there's also because it, it, the the trend of like the like ironic subtitle. Yeah, was yeah. was big for a while. Totally ironic, guys. Totally <laughs> ironic. It's like you didn't expect this movie to have a love story as the subtitle. And mm-hmm. then there's the movie Love Story, which is about a guy who smashes brains. <laughs> yeah, love story, semicolon. Brain Smasher. <laughs> <laughs> a Brain Smasher story. Right, so it would be like a remake, like the sequel to A Love Story. Isn't that like the ice skating one where the woman is blind? Then it just turns into- That's the cutting edge. No, no, she's not blind in the no cutting edge. Story. <laughs> Wait, she's not blind she- in the cutting edge? <laughs> <laughs> so you thought the cut, you thought a cutting edge was the cutting edge was about a woman who, what, her eyes got slit across? And I, that blinded I thought her? that. I yeah. thought that was why she was. Oh no, that was Jennifer Eight that I'm thinking of. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I you think of the eyes of Laura Mars. <laughs> I think I think I'm thinking of FX: The Deadly Art of Illusion. Okay. <laughs> Where Brian Brown's girlfriend's blind. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's what you're thinking about. Uh, so here's the part where we make a decision about this movie: whether it's a good bad movie, a bad bad movie, or a movie you kind of like. Uh, what does everyone think, guys? Oh, wow, Dan, you're not even going to answer your own no, question? No, I'll, I'll answer. Am I at first? <laughs> I, uh... Now I, we all get to say how we feel about it, and then we'll, April will silently judge us until she tells us how she feels about it. <laughs> yeah, because she made us watch it. Um, I have I, no regrets. I actually feel like this is hovering between... A good bad movie, and honestly, a movie I kind of like, because like I was watching it and I was thinking to myself, you know what, I'm enjoying this movie a lot more than supposedly good movies that I've seen. Like uh-huh. it, it worked for me in a way that a lot of uh, you know prestige films don't necessarily work for me. I mean, it's 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 it's, it's accomplishing its goals, and uh, we were talking about, you know. Uh, Andrew Rice Clay, weirdly not a bad actor. I mean, as we, as Stuart and I were talking about before the taping started, it's not like he has a lot of range. I mean, he's playing <laughs> he's playing the Andrew Dice Clay character, but he it, plays it very well. And it does feel like he didn't 
show up for any of the choreography lessons before <laughs> any of the action sequences. <laughs> like a lot of the action sequences just look like he's like rolling around. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> if a movie about a bouncer who attacks a bunch of uh, like ninja monks, uh, they're not ninjas. Dan, maybe maybe they're. I was split, it doesn't I, get mentioned in the movie, but they're not ninjas. I was splitting the difference by calling them ninja monks. Uh, but if that sounds appealing to you, if like a kung fu movie where it's uh the the uh kung fu is versus a bouncer sounds appealing, then this is a good movie for you. <laughs> yeah, if you're in that that if very you're in that specific that very specific mark. cohort, I think that's a Netflix category. Yeah, it yeah. says if you, if you're interested in bouncer versus monk movies. <laughs> You should watch the fifth season of Arrested Development. And I'm like, Netflix, that algorithm doesn't make sense. (laughs) Uh, Uh, Oh, Stuart, you go. Yeah, I think think I'm going to go with, I think it's a good, bad movie. I feel like it's tough to be critical of it because it does feel like it's doing, it's exactly the movie it wants to be. It might be a little sloppily made, but like, I don't think... I think it's, for the most part, when it's being silly, it's intentionally being silly, or it's very difficult for me to tell what's intentional and what isn't intentional. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it's like I think it's a pretty fun, good, bad movie. I am going to go the other direction in Dan's, where I'm going to say it's a movie I liked. It's a wow. and I expected to not like it because. <laughs> I don't know. It's a. It's got a dumb title. I hate the title. I hate anything that puts a love story at the end of it. But I was like, this movie. I genuinely found it funny in a bunch of places. I genuinely enjoyed a lot of the camera work in places. Uh, Introduce Clay is perfectly serviceable as this bouncer character. It tapped into the crush I had on Terry Hatcher when I was like thirteen years old, and she mm-hmm. was on Lois and Clark. It, and uh, like I was saying, it framed the shots where people were talking with the camera a little closer to their face than you would find in an American movie, which is a kind of framing I really enjoy. And uh, the colors in it are really good. And it does though, have Brick Bardo himself, Tim Thomerson, the doll man. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so, it, I mean, he doesn't he doesn't shrink down and be doll man, but... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I that's, mean, one, I was, I that's was, one check in the minus column. <laughs> I was watching this movie on headphones while my wife was doing something else in the same room, and I was like, huh? and she was like, what happened? And I'm like, Doll Man is in it. And she was like, what? And I was like, oh, he's in a movie where he's an alien cop, but on he's like a hard-boiled cop, but on Earth he's 13 inches tall, so he's the size of a doll. And she was like, don't even tell me anymore. <laughs> so, yeah, I enjoyed this movie. April, you picked this movie for us to watch. I did. I'm so happy that some of you like it. Stuart... I will win you over yet. I said it was a good, bad movie. I feel like that's not... Oh, I guess I guess I have one foot on the shore, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I like so the way you said that was very dice clay. It's a good, bad movie. Uh, I said it's a good, bad movie. Come on. <laughs> but the real stars of this are the Foley artists who had to do so much walking on the uh, street. Mm-hmm. Like, it's never-ending, just shoes, because they're walking so often. And I remembered watching it like the second or third time. I was like, wow. Wow, the Foley artists are really, really great. That's the kind of thing you know you get when you watch it in multiple viewings. So, mm-hmm. so you would recommend watching Brain Smasher probably three times in a row? At least three, yeah, I would say. Just to really get the, the full smash of it. The mm-hmm. heart and the brain smash. 
<laughs> that's it's the that would be your quote if the movie came out now you'd be like smashes your brain and smashes your heart yes oh god to be a critic in 93 <laughs> oh, that must have been a glorious time yeah you'd have your own tv show it'd start local local regional television oh, yeah, definitely. and then it would get national uh-huh. syndication what would it be called what would you call your like ebert and siskel at the movies type show wolf pick nice that's pretty good my last name <laughs> is wolf yeah, no, oh, I got okay. that part. I get it. <laughs> get it. I get and it. It's, guys. And and like pick is like pack, but exactly. it's got an I in it instead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah totally got it. But yeah. would you spell P I C like picture, like movies? Oh shit! <laughs> guys, we got to get a time machine. Go to 1993. Pitch this show. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like there's <laughs> other things we could probably do with the time machine, but. Sure. Name one. Name one catastrophe we could avert. There aren't any. Things have been going great since 1993. It's been perfect. This is Mirror Universe Adam Pranica here to tell you not to listen to The Greatest Discovery on MaximumFun.org. This is Mirror Universe Ben Harrison uncharacteristically agreeing with you despite the fact that you are my enemy. The one thing that you must never do is enjoy our bit of off-season Star Trek Discovery programming where we talk about the first season of Star Trek Discovery while at the same time unpacking news and information about the upcoming Season 2. So do not tune in and download The Greatest Discovery on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. And rate it one star on Apple Podcasts. In a world dominated by Dude Bro Movie Podcasts. A world where Casey Affleck has an Oscar and Angela Bassett does not. Only one podcast is brave enough to call bullshit who shot ya with ricky carmona a lot of people don't know porks puerto rican alonzo duralde i would eat oak jaw <gasps> april wolf i want to interrupt and say yes. that the fish man was real sexy drea clark i have a real soft spot for king kong and women of color i was like damn Right, Kugel got final cut. Kugel got final cut. It's literally the world's saddest orgy. <laughs> <laughs> and believe me, I'm from San Francisco. I've been to some sad orgies. Who shot you? Listen every Friday on Maximum Fun or wherever you get your podcasts. So we got a few sponsors that we should uh, mention. Oh, thanks. Um, <laughs> what are you saying thanks to Dan for I'm saying thanks to, to Archie has smashed his face into my mouth um, I brain smashed you yep <laughs> Archie the cat brain smasher uh, our first sponsor uh, the Flophouse is sponsored in part by Mac Weldon you can look good and feel great in Mac Weldon because I'll tell you something they believe in smart design premium fabrics and simple shopping it's a very easy and convenient shopping experience to go to MacWeldon.com. <laughs> yeah. I assume that's MacWeldon.com. I hope it is. <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> I've screwed up this commercial royally. So, Dan, did they did you, did you they give you maybe look a little bit farther down in the ad copy? I know <laughs> oh, you yeah, always, it is. <laughs> it, it is MacWeldon.com. I know you it always is, review the ad copy the multiple times line. ahead of time so you know it by heart. But yeah. maybe uh, just Mac glance Weldon, down and the URL Mac- is probably there at the bottom. Mac Weldon for your butt, right? Yeah, that's what it's called. 
Look, they've got a guys. They've got a line of silver underwear and shirts <laughs> that are naturally antimicrobial, so they eliminate o- odor. Like the shirts eliminate odor on their own. Looks like a science fiction thing. Yeah, yeah, so you you could just wear that shirt a couple days in a row and you'd be fine. Mm-hmm. You might as well call it Odor Smasher, a shirt story. <laughs> yeah. If you don't like your first pair of underwear, you can keep it and they'll still refund you with no questions asked. And I mean <laughs> no questions asked. <laughs> uh, Dan, let me just mention, you're, you're not going to unlike that underwear. You're going to like it a lot because it's a really quality piece of underwear. And undershirts are really good. And the silver ones are really good. Speaking as a Mac Weldon user, you're going to like the way you look if you look <laughs> at yourself in the mirror before you put your other clothes on. And also the look is not the important thing. It's more the wearing of it. So yeah. you're going to like the way you wear it. I guarantee it. All right. Well, That's, that's changed just enough yeah, to just not be intellectual <laughs> property. <laughs> Nobody can sue me now. Uh just for the listener, go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off using promo code FLOP. That's MacWeldon.com, 20% off with promo code FLOP. And secondarily, but not, I mean, secondarily only in listing. Thanks form, for clarifying. Dude. Not in importance form. You saved yeah, we didn't day. rank the sponsors. Don't worry. No. Uh, our other sponsor tonight, or whenever you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> is Squarespace. <laughs> Squarespace. You can create a beautiful website with Squarespace to turn your cool idea into a new website, showcase your work, announce an upcoming event or special project, or uh, do a little e-commerce. You know, sell something. <laughs> Make a little scratch with Squarespace. Yeah, yeah. When you finally... <laughs> what? You use you Squarespace want... <laughs> to, to monifi- monetize yeah, your... Yeah, just go uh... to squarespace.com, the place you're supposed to go for squares. Hi. Right. You hate it when you're supposed to have a square, but you don't have one? Go to Squarespace. Now, Dan, we've had a lot of laughs, but I actually have a serious business proposition. Okay. And I was wondering if Squarespace would be able to... Are you going to pitch your new movie review website, Wolfpick? Yeah, it's called <laughs> wolfpick.com. Elliot Kalin's place for movie reviews on the web. Uh, now it's, and it's but only Wolf movies from 1993. Wolf. <laughs> yeah. What? It's only movies from 1993. Yeah, it's only movies from 1993 except for the film Wolf, which I think came out a different year. So it's either 1993 movies or Wolf-based movies. So I mean, which means you could have like uh, the Corda version of the Jungle Book in it. I think that has a wolf in it. You could have uh-huh. White Fang. You could have is Balto uh-huh. a wolf? Let's just say that he is. <laughs> yeah, sure, he's close enough. Technically, yeah. Uh, so, Dan, I had an idea for a website, and I'm hoping Squarespace, Squarespace I'm sorry. <laughs> All now right, I'm, see? Now, see? Now I'm talking like a Dan. See how it happens? <laughs> now, I'm hoping Squarespace can help me. Now, this movie really inspired me, but I was thinking, why stop at Brains? Why not smash any Oregon? And so at OregonSmash.org, it's a nonprofit. <laughs> yeah. If you have excess organs you're not doing anything with, just send, us to, send them to us. We'll smash them. Or we'll send you a kit to smash them at home, upload your video to the website. Be part of the community, you know. Be part of the organ smash world. It's a place where friends can meet friends to smash each other's extra organs. Now, I don't know about you guys. I have two kidneys. I'm not using one of them. It's just, like, extra. I don't need it. So I think I might take it out and just smash it and just post the video and get things started. And uh, I was just – so organsmash.org, it is a nonprofit, as I mentioned. All proceeds go to the Elliot Kalin Foundation for money. 
which mm-hmm. is another nonprofit that's oriented towards giving me money to buy things that I like. And Dan, I wondered if Squarespace might be able to help me with both of those projects. Uh, I'm pretty sure it can. <laughs> I think Dan's responding to an email now. Uh, no, I was, <laughs> I, I was saying whether the slogan for the Phantom was either Smash Evil or Slam Evil. Slam Evil. Slam, slam Evil. evil. It was Slam Evil. Yeah. That, yeah, originally it was called Brain Slammer, a movie no one will watch. <laughs> yeah, I'm lo- yeah, thank God they changed the title no, so that can- all these people <laughs> saw it. You can do everything you want to, Elliot, because Squarespace gives you beautiful templates created by world-class designers, powerful e-commerce functionality, free and secure hosting, and nothing to patch or upgrade ever. Oh, ever. that's great. I don't ever want to patch or upgrade things. Look, if you want to do this, why not check out squarespace.com slash flop for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code flop to save 10% off your first person, first purchase of a or website first or domain. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Elliot. Thanks. Hey, do you guys think uh, Wedding Crashers would be different if the title was Wedding Smashers? Like, it uh, sounds more violent, right? I mean, it sounds like. The November rain uh, video. <laughs> because the cake gets destroyed? Yeah, yeah. I guess so. Uh, here's another question. Do you think when Billy Corgan was a kid, probably like eight, he went to the theater, saw Brain Smasher, and was like, was I want to smash was... brains. I want to smash pumpkins. Uh, wait, when he was eight, was that back when he was played the kid on Small Wonder? <laughs> Did Billy Corgan do that? I think that was, uh, that was like a long-running urban legend. Uh, when I yeah. was when like Smashing Pumpkins first came out, was that uh, Billy like, Corgan was the kid on Small Wonder? <laughs> like how people thought Marilyn Manson was the friend from Wonder Years. Yes. Yeah, it's exactly the same thing. Yes. Or how people thought the Karate Kid was Ralph Macchio. Uh, what? That's an urban legend you still hear today. <laughs> 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 All right, guys. Before we move on, uh, this one last thing we should. Do, which is plug our live show in Seattle, Washington. Oh, cool. Uh, right near... By the, the time we're releasing the show, it'll be uh, very close to the live, sh- the yeah, live yeah, show. Yeah. yeah, so tell uh, us more about this live show. I'm excited about it. It's at the Neptune Theater in I'm Seattle, Washington. Oh. It's at 8 p.m. on June the 30th. That's Saturday. Mm-hmm. So uh, you don't have to go to work tomorrow, presuming that you don't work on Sunday, which some people do. <laughs> Yeah. So. Priests. Uh-huh. Uh huh. A lot of people in the service industry. Sure. Yeah. True. Who else? I, d- I don't know who else, Dan. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, I mean, uh, if, if your garbage pickup is on Sunday, which it's probably not, but then garbage men would work that day. I don't know. Police officers. I think people at Trump's golf clubs work on Sunday. Oh, yeah. That's a big golf day. Yeah. It's a yeah. Big golf day. Mm hmm. So, so if you're not in the golf industry, you can come to our show. I mean, you can uh, still come to our show. Just you expect that you have to go to work the next day. Yeah. All right. I mean, just don't stay out too late. But if you if you don't have to go to work the next day, definitely come to the show because we're going to go late. Right, Dan? Uh, probably if previous shows are any indication. <laughs> uh, and, Dan, are we, are we announcing the movie for it? Uh, the movie in Seattle, I believe, is The Mummy, the new oh, starring mummy. Brendan Fraser. No, the no, one with, the one no, with it's Tom starring Cruise. Boris Karloff. No, the Tom, the Thomas Cruise one. Oh, right, the one that was going to kick off the Dark Universe series. What? What? Mm-hmm. I can't wait for that next Dark Universe movie. 
<laughs> yeah. Hey, April, you're you got your finger on the pulse of movies. What's the next yeah. Dark Universe movie? I don't care. I really am trying not to pay attention to it. Wait, but what? But it's a Dark Universe. Oh, it's it's uh, going dark. <laughs> I think. I think I heard it might be that Sci-Fi Channel original Leprechaun reboot. <laughs> Maybe. Wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> As no. if they're like, fuck, fuck it, the dark universe, we're just going to do Leprechaun. <laughs> they're like, look, people don't care about the universal monsters anymore. At least they don't care when we make half-assed action movies out of them. So we can assume people don't like these characters. So we'll just do the Leprechaun. Wait, you're not talking about like the Warwick Davis Leprechaun. You're talking about like a different Leprechaun? Yeah, the new one that's coming out. What? It was announced, yeah. The, I think uh, I think Sci-Fi is producing it. Oh my god! Okay, all right. I'm more okay. excited about that. <laughs> You're like, that. oh, this yeah. Leprechaun movie. Yeah, until the until the Dark Universe includes like the Mad Balls or some shit. I'm not into it. <laughs> <laughs> They're just uh, digging through a Toys R Us catalog from like 1989, <laughs> looking for some, well, these Muscle Men are they available? <laughs> that would be incredible, dude. <laughs> <laughs> what about these robots that turn into rocks? We could use those. Uh, so that's going to be a really fun show. And as always, this is my promise to you, the attendee. When we do our presentations before the show, which we do at every live show, I will be doing a presentation explicitly tailored for that show only, which I will never perform again. So you're either going to go to that show and see it, or you're never going to see it. And you're ne- and it's it's a presentation about Seattle. So uh, will a certain radio psychiatrist make an appearance in it? Possibly. <laughs> right. Wait, he's gonna Kelsey Grammer's gonna come to the show? <laughs> Don't tell anybody. <laughs> uh moving on though. I actually got I got the number one Kelsey Grammer impersonator in Seattle, Kelso Grammer. <laughs> <laughs> you know the Kelsey Grammer Day in Seattle is September eleventh. Well, it's really sad. Both sad that it's that day and sad that Seattle was like, what do we got going for us? Yeah. Kelsey Grammer, all right. City yeah. holiday. We got we to gotta increase tourist traffic. It's like, uh, it's, like, it's like the opposite of the RoboCop statue of Detroit. <laughs> uh, that, was a, that was a scandal. I think we've talked about it before. Maybe not. Where So that RoboCop statue got Kickstarter funded, and mm-hmm. Detroit said, we don't want it. And I have to say, I understand Detroit's point of view on this one. That they did not want a giant monument to a movie all about how bad their city is. <laughs> how it's a crime-infested sewage hole where people turn into mutants. Uh-huh. But maybe that statue would uh, depress crime. People will, in that, yeah, they might that see. general area will see RoboCop and they'll be like, oh, what better not? Oh, let me get rid of my nuke. Yeah. <laughs> I think the statue would depress Detroit and its residents. <laughs> oh, this is what we're known for, huh? There has to be – I bet you there's – it's the same way that like uh, there was that – the statue of Captain America that was briefly up in Brooklyn. And I remember seeing it and being like, look, I love Captain America. I love the Marvel comics. I, I do not – this doesn't really make much sense to me, partly because he's a superhero who's based in the Lower East Side in the comics. But this idea that like, oh, there's all these statues to like real dead people and then there's one to Chris Evans as Captain America. But like, yeah, there but- must be a statue in Detroit to a real police officer who was killed in the line of duty at some point, and that, that statue would probably look at the RoboCop statue and be like, oh, really? Okay. Well, well, Elliot, what about the statue to Ralph Cramden in Sunset Park? It's, oh, it's, at, a, it's at Port Authority, isn't it? 
Oh, I thought it was in Sunset Park. Okay, doesn't matter. I mean, um, that too. That seems crazy to me. That and what about like, the statue of Rocky in Philadelphia? Don't even get me started. At least they moved that so it's no longer at the top of the stairs of the Museum of Art, where it's literally like, Philadelphia's like, this is our idea of art. It's a statue of <laughs> Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> like, the only way that gets away as art is if Jeff Koons sculpted it. And then I'd be like, okay, maybe. I don't know. Um, We should move on, though, to Letters. Okay. From <laughs> Actually, wait, can I tell a very quick story about my sure. son, the four-year-old son, the art critic? So we uh, went to sure. we went to the La Brea Tar Pits. It's a great place to take a four-year-old, and it's uh-huh. right next to the Art Museum LACMA, the Los Angeles County Art Muse- Museum of Art. And there was a big – I assume it's a Jeff Koons sculpture because it was a big balloon animal, shiny sculpture off in the distance. And I was like, oh, Sammy will probably like that. We should walk over to it. And I was like, Sammy, let's go over to that sculpture. It's this big, shiny balloon animal. And he went, I can see it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like not worth the walk. Okay, yeah. not <laughs> get it, Sammy. Yeah. All right. Uh, so our first now Stuart letter, thought that was going to be a longer story and left his seat. He walked. He took his uh, drink glass and walked into the kitchen, and uh, he's yelling that he's coming back. As if, <laughs> oh, good. As if, as if I had imagined that he was leaving the podcast forever, <laughs> and this was the way he had chosen to. This isn't his Jack Parr moment where he's just going to walk off stage in the middle of the show. All right, here he is. Um, what did I miss? Uh, did great story about yet? Sammy. <laughs> um, so this is our. This is the segment where we read letters from listeners, listeners like you, and the first letter is from Ben. Last name withheld. Who writes? Ben what's Ben Kingsley? gonna write? Hey guys, what's Ben gonna write in this letter? April Wolf is here to find out what this letter will say about Ben. Bye Ben. To Ben. To us. Hey Ben, what's on your mind today? Hey Ben, hope you'll be kind today. Hey Ben, compost that rind today because you're not gonna eat it, but it could be used to enrich the soil in a public park, perhaps a farm somewhere dark, where inside that dirt the worms will churn and they'll eat up that rind and take their turn at making the world a more fertile place for the plants and the flowers all over the space that is this world that we share. This letter is brought to you by Ben. So, April, how was that for you? How was is that uh, being in the same room as that? Good... Whoa. Oh, thank you. <laughs> now, normally when I would sing that in the same room as Dan and Stewart, I'll lock eyes with them so they can't, they can't escape. But I, I was embarrassed. I looked away. Oh, yeah. And I, I couldn't. Didn't, I didn't. It's like when there's like a car stopped and like you're not sure if you're supposed to walk across the street. So you just look away and then they could drive through the stop sign. That's that's. <laughs> <laughs> So you, you you treated me the same way you would treat like a very quiet homeless person, where you're mm-hmm. like, if I don't look at them, I can tell myself I didn't notice that they were there. Yeah. Maybe they're not asking for change. Maybe it's just a a man who hasn't taken a bath in a while who is taking that that paper cup to get it filled with coffee somewhere. Yeah, maybe he's uh, maybe he's doing one of those Diablo Cody writing exercises, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is from Ben. Last so Dan, what did help. Ben say? What's Ben going to say? Last name, 10. What's yep. Ben going to say? Well, he writes, Hi, Peaches. I listened to your USS Naptown episode while hosting a sleepover for no fewer than six 10-year-old boys, my son's birthday party. 
Thank you, firstly, for helping me preserve my sanity during this challenging time. Mm-hmm. There is some debate among the boys over what movies to watch. They finally settled on Johnny English Reborn and Maze Runner Scorch Trials. A classic, so subtitles. A classic example of committee think leading to mediocrity. Alas, but they seem to enjoy themselves. Anyway, this got me thinking about sleepover-based movie experiences. Are there any formative, inappropriate, or just downright head-scratching films you guys remember seeing during sleepovers at friends' houses growing up? My memory goes back to 15-year-old me and a bunch of my friends excitedly beginning Blue Velvet and then being variously traumatized over the next couple of hours. Also, I have a random memory of my friend Nick and me renting and watching the sluggish, grown-up neo-noir flick Tequila Sunrise one night. Anyway, over to you. So, sleepover movie experiences. I have two that I remember. I remember... I think it was the same uh, friend of mine. I watched uh, the 1985 TV movie, The Midnight Hour, uh, starring Sherry Belafonte, LeVar Burton. Sherry Belafonte? Yeah. Okay. LeVar Burton. That was when uh, Harry Belafonte, like Tiresias, had changed gender (laughs) at the whim of the gods. Kevin McCarthy was in it, too. Dick Van Patten. And uh, and uh, Wolfman Jack and Kurtwood Smith, looking through the uh, and you're recounting this all from page. memory. Oh well, I see. Yeah. Uh, and it was a as a kid, you were like, "Whoa, you know, Kurtwood was... Smith, <laughs> 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 Kevin McCarthy, amazing!" A... Said ten-year-old Dan McCoy. <laughs> it was a TV. He was in the uh, Misfits. <laughs> A TV-based, uh, um, you know, like horror movie about, uh, you know, using a ancient scroll or something to. Well, it really made an impression. <laughs> <laughs> All right. There were like monsters overrunning the town or something like that. But the other movie... Dan, Dan, I cannot begin to imagine the stories you're not telling. <laughs> this is the one you're choosing to tell. <laughs> uh, and then I, we watched, weirdly enough, the 1964 uh, comedy Advance to the Rear... <laughs> Which is a very strange choice for a, a sleepover. Uh, are you familiar with this, Elliot? No, I am not. Uh, the the IMDb like an, arm, like an army based comedy. The IMDb page says a Union Army outfit of misfits and rejects is sent into the Western Territory. Southern spies try to figure out what they're up to. So it was a '64 black and white comedy. With Glenn Ford and Mervin Mel- Melvin Douglas and Jim Backus, it's a a very strange choice for a like group of ten year olds watching a movie as a sleepover. Yeah, it's not even like you could be like, "Oh, this probably has nudity in it," because as soon as you saw it was black and white. Yeah. So this this was a this was a dead end. Well, for you maybe <laughs> for me, not even a for dead end drive in. 
<laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I think the two movies that we I watched the most as sleepover movies were Repossessed with Leslie Nielsen. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, Ski Patrol uh, with, you know, the cast of Ski Patrol. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> you, might, you, might, you might see them when you look into the night sky, for they are etched among the stars. <laughs> yeah, the constellations. Uh, <laughs> the constellations of the cast of Ski Patrol. So you were more into the saucy comedies. Yeah, I was super into saucy comedies with funny fart sound effects and, All right. you know, that type of stuff. I remember my friends and I, we would watch Akira a lot. Like, Akira was a big uh, sleepover movie once we reached a certain age. And also, mm -hmm. uh, like, Monty Python movies. But we'd always have the experience of, we'd wa start watching the movie, we'd fall asleep before it was over, or our parents would tell us we had to go to sleep uh, if we were before we, you know, turned 12 or 13. And then the next morning, we would finish watching it. So all these movies where the most... Crazy stuff would happen at the end of the movie, but we'd be watching it the next morning. So I remember very clearly the first, like watching Life of Brian, and the first time I ever saw the scene where Graham Chapman opens up the window and you see his penis. It was like mm -hmm. my friend's mom was just making breakfast in the other room, and it was like this is a weird <laughs> way to see this movie. <laughs> but I remember we we uh, some friends of mine we rented Mac and Me, and it was the only time when we were watching the movie and my friend's parents said. You guys have to go to sleep. And we were like, okay. <laughs> that's, that's fine. <laughs> and we, we finished watching it the next morning more out of obligation than anything else. It was like, okay. I love that movie. Oh, it's... It taught me about wind power. How so? There's a lot of wind turbines that I didn't know existed. Oh, okay. It's really the, the thing I got out of it. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, the best anyone has ever gotten out of that yeah, one. So. Yeah. What about you? Any sleepover yeah. movie memories? Oh, I wasn't popular. I didn't have to do sleepovers. Oh, but I, right. I did stay up late with my grandparents every night. Uh, <laughs> and what movies did they That's watch? That's kind of a sleepover. Movies. Yeah, so the first movie I can remember watching with them, we watched it a lot, was Sleepaway King. Oh, okay. That's so was, crazy yeah. grandparent choice. Yeah, my grandfather's favorite movie is The Ice Cream Man. Clint With Howard. Clint Howard. That tells you anything. So, you know, we watched a lot of those over and over and over again. April Fool's Day was a big one in our house. Uh-huh. Do you guys remember the cover of that, the VHS? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not particularly. What did it... It's like yeah, a yeah, yeah. with her back turned, right? Oh, like right. And her, in her hair That's right. Yeah, that's that was one of my favorite... Uh, that was one of my favorite VHS boxes to see in the video store. I, uh... <laughs> Reminds me of home. <laughs> mm -hmm. My uh, when I was a kid, also I had epilepsy, which is something that I grew out of, actually, which is apparently the thing that happens from time to time is you can just grow out of epilepsy. But uh, I had to get uh, these brain scans that I would have to do while I was asleep. Uh -huh. Oh, like and in so, the movie, brain scan. Yeah, yeah, and so to make sure that I was asleep. Uh, my, I would have to stay up the night before, so I would, I would sleep through these tests, and my mom was very sweet, she would stay up with me, and we would watch movies, and That's I remember... That's like a really nice story, dude. No, it is a very nice... Yeah, it yeah is why a very didn't you tell nice that story. story first, instead of making us sit through this other, just <laughs> listing names from a TV movie you but didn't I, remember? I just remember that one of the movies that we watched was 
Shelly Long in Hello Again. <laughs> so that was an interesting choice. That reminds me of a time when my mom and I, I think we were cleaning up the basement and we were finishing late. I was probably like 14 or something. And on HBO, A League of Their Own was starting, a movie we had on tape. Like, we owned it. We could watch it whenever we wanted. We could have said, oh, A League of Our Own, that's good. We'll just watch it tomorrow. But instead, we were like, I guess we're watching this. And so we watched A League, a League of Their Own until, like, 2 in the morning. <laughs> and I think I had school the next day. Like, I don't know what. <laughs> you got a note from your mom. Like, sorry, uh... Please excuse Elliot today on account of Penny Marshall's A League <laughs> story of female baseball players. <laughs> When you see it, good movie. It is a good movie. Yeah. Eddie uh, Spaghetti, so tragic. This next letter is from Devin, last name withheld, who writes, Hi, Peach Squad. On a recent day homesick from work, I watched for the first time a movie that has been oft discussed on the Flophouse, Teen Wolf. Even though I'd never seen the film, <laughs> the whole thing felt so familiar because of the many times I'd heard you guys discuss it on the podcast. Yeah. There was Teen Wolf surfing on the car, just like Stuart said. There was the Civil War play, just like Elliot said. There was Boof being way cuter than that blonde girl, just like Dan repeatedly said. <laughs> and there was that, and then there was that Dick Nose T-shirt I'd heard so much about. <laughs> so my question: What movies have you never seen but feel familiar with because they're seeped into your brain via cultural references, discussion by loved ones, or some other means? Bonus question, who would win in a fight between Teen Wolf and Teen Witch? Keep flopping hard, gentlemen. Devin, last name withheld. Well, um, is it a fight or a basketball game? Yeah, that's the Or question. is it a rap battle? A yeah, rap, but, yeah. Well, she's, well, Teen Witch isn't that good at rapping. It's her friend who's really good at it. That's true. She is really good at it. Yeah, you can't <laughs> top that. <laughs> what do you think? Uh, teen Wolf or Teen Witch? Oh, God. I'm teen Witch all the way. Okay. Yeah, I've... Well, I thought I was her for all of my life. <laughs> I really with her, so. You're like any minute now. These witch powers are gonna. I've been waiting so <laughs> long. Kick in. I was like, I, I was sure it was gonna happen at 16 because when you were a girl, they tell you they they tell you that you're gonna get witch powers at 16. Like every single media says that, and we were all disappointed. We were mm. all still waiting. So someday, maybe next year. <laughs> the stork from Dumbo will show up late. Yeah. Like, oh, I was I was supposed to deliver this years ago. Here you go. What was that? What was, was that other... TV show where the uh, girl's dad was a uh, alien and she got out of magic this world? powers? Out of this world. Thank you. Yeah, his her dad, Bert, the voice of Burt Reynolds, was uh, was from Venus, I think. No, okay. some other planet, not Venus. Okay, but that's the same sort of thing. She gets the same, powers at she, well, she can stop time and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. I think, and she she's a, it, I think at the last episode revealed she's a sleeper agent to overthrow the government or something, and aliens take over the world and mm-hmm. they eat our babies. I think. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's how that ended. That's how Small Wonder ended too. Yeah. What if the girl from Out of This World? It's a League of Extraordinary Gentlemen type thing. It's her, the girl from Small Wonder, Alex Mack. Definitely Alex Mack. Yes. And then. Uh, I guess Clarissa would be the leader. She doesn't have any powers, but she kind of like knows everything. She can explain it all to them. Sabrina would definitely be there. Yeah, Sabrina's on it too. That's our team, guys. All right. All right. Somebody, I guess we've uh, answered that question. To answer Some Blumhouse fan, make that poster. To answer <laughs> the, the other part of the question, girls. I've never seen. I feel like that's already an Alan Moore comic book, right? But with way more creepy sex. 
Yeah, that's yeah. I don't want Alan Moore's version of it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, to answer the earlier part of that question, I've actually never seen Pretty Woman, but I make I reference it all the time. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've never seen Dazed and Confused, and I think I what? never will. Well, but I spent at one time I did I took a side job transcribing footage for a documentary about the behind the scenes of Dazed and Confused. And I transcribed something like 30 hours of footage. And so I haven't seen the movie, but I feel like I've seen behind the back of the movie. And so I'm like, I get it. I get the deal. I don't need to watch this movie. Like, I was it was, uh, I was doing it as a late-night job after my regular day job. So it would be really late at night, and I'd be transcribing at times silent footage of night shoots of the movie. And it started. I started feeling like I was in the footage. So not only <laughs> – I've lived dazed and confused. I don't need to yeah, watch yeah, it. Yeah, sure. Which is also – this one, when I remember Saving Private Ryan came out, my grandmother said, I don't need to watch that. I lived it. And I was like, you didn't fight in World War II, Grandma? Like this. <laughs> Just like I was behind yeah. enemy lines saving Matt Damon. I don't need to see that movie. <laughs> your, your grandma sounds cool. <laughs> yeah, I feel like – She is very cool. I feel like this is not necessarily true of movies that I still haven't seen. But it's true of movies that, like, I have – I've seen, but, like, by the time I got around to seeing them, they were already in my mind. Okay. For instance, like, Citizen Kane, I I saw the Bobo episode of The Simpsons, and that's basically Citizen Kane. And so by the time Citizen came around, came around I'm like, oh, that's what all those jokes in The Simpsons were about. Mm-hmm. I get it now. I feel like Simpsons references to movies was the primary way I was introduced to, like – Classic movies. Yeah. I feel like some, like Alien was something where I saw Spaceballs long before I saw Alien. Right. So yeah, of like, course you did. It's amazing. For a long time. <laughs> yeah, because it's the greatest comedy ever made. But uh, so like for a long time it was like, oh, yeah, the movie. But like I knew there was a movie where an alien popped out of a guy's chest. That I did, And I knew right. Spaceballs was making fun of it, but I didn't know that movie. Yeah. Now, of course, I watch Alien all the time. Spaceballs yeah. I haven't seen in a while. <laughs> That's the last yeah. time I watched it a little bit of it, I was like, this is not the movie twelve year old me thought it was. No. Nope. What about the but the alien scene? That still works though, right? Because mm-hmm. it's John Hurt. That's hilarious. It's the it's the guy and the puppet's pretty good. Yeah, he's doing like the Detroit frog, like the hell am I mm-hmm. that thing? Yeah. Michigan J Frog. Michigan J Frog, thank yeah. you. Detroit's in Michigan, so she gets partial yeah, credit. But, but Detroit frog, from- Robo frog. <laughs> he's actually from Lansing. Oh, God. A lot of people don't know that. Oh, that's, yeah. uh, this last letter is from Ian, last name withheld. Ian Mackay of Minor Threat. Who writes, <laughs> uh, Probably. He writes, A few months ago, I moved into an apartment just north of Flatbush. While coming back from my gym near the southeastern corner of the park, I noticed none other than a Popeye's. Remembering that the fabled Hinterland's Bar was nearby, I thought for a moment this might be the legendary Popeye's that Elliot would visit before recording episodes. After pausing to look upon the church of fried chicken, I realized that of course you guys didn't all just live near slash above Stewart's Bar in a sitcomic fashion, spilling your triumphs and troubles in your spot at the bar every time while embarking upon various shenanigans primarily in your three main stages. The bar the recording room, and the writer's room of The Daily Show, where other exasperating employees would always question Stuart's routine appearances in the office despite him not working there. <laughs> that actually kind of feels like the times I've visited you guys at the <laughs> So what if there was a sitcom about the Flophouse? Would it be multi or single camera? What catchphrases would you guys have? 
Would there be an all-musical episode where Elliot's frequent singing infects the entire cast? How many seasons did Dan's knee jokes last? The list goes on. Stay peachy. Ian, last name withheld. So I just, I mean, I mostly enjoyed the story about uh, him having these delusions about us uh, all living in a sitcom-y world where we uh, had, like, three sets that we... Yeah, there was was a time where we were considering like hey so we do this dumb podcast could we figure out a way to turn this dumb podcast into a tv show and the version of the show i pitched was basically that but with like an old movie theater so i think we were running an old movie theater but we could only get bad movies right yeah i think it's a great idea or i think it's like dan and harrison or something and we were like (laughs) forced to go with him we're forced to be his butler by uh, a judge (laughs) decree The, the uh, it's something that I hadn't really thought about, but I should have because describe that describing that where we all live in the same place and we all hang out in the same place. Like growing up as a kid, I wanted that so badly. When I would watch sit, like a sitcom like Friends or Seinfeld or even like Charles in Charge or Saved by the Bell, it was like oh, they had this one. Each character has this one group of friends that's like five people. They spend all their time together. They hang out at the same place. They always know they're going to be there. Like, it seemed like such a, like, as a kid without, without a lot of friends, it was like, oh, like, what a beautiful vision where I have this circle of friends who know everything that's going on with me because we're always hanging out, and we have this one place. And I had this fantasy of, like, someday, when I'm a grown-up, I'll have, like, a restaurant I go to, and when they see me, they'll know me, and they'll go <laughs> the usual, and I'll say yes, and then I'll get the food that I want. Because that's how it was in sitcoms all the time. And then growing up, I'm like, that sounds terrible. It's like you're trapped in a in a relationship prison. You only go to one <laughs> place and you only know like five people. Like, where's the rest of your life? But Yeah, it's kind of depressing when people actually know what you're going to order at a restaurant. You're like, oh, I should go someplace else. <laughs> yeah, or yeah. try one of the other things on the menu. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, as an adult watching like Friends or something, I find that so baffling. Like, just like the idea that these five people just hang out at the same coffee shop all the time just horrifies me. And they yeah. also live across the hall from each other. So it's like I, me and my roommates and the guys across the hall, their roommates, you know what? Let's go hang out at the coffee shop together because we're all friends. Like they don't see anyone else. They're always around each other. It's like you would get so mad at these people. Like you need – It's, it's uh, but I mean, as I a think, kid it was like, I think there was an oh, episode... I would love to be in this closed universe, you know. There's got to be at least one episode where an outsider explains that like it's dating, I don't know – Chandlo is that one of the characters? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah Chandlo yeah. the Magnificent. Yeah, yeah. So they tell Chandlo like yeah, you Jojo the dog face boy. The whole because Friends takes place at a circus. <laughs> it's a carnival main uh, 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 midway that they all okay. work at. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'm. I think there's an episode where somebody's like, "Yeah, stop hanging out with Jimbo and uh, Phoebes and uh, <laughs> yep, I don't yep. know Monaco, <laughs> Ray, Raytron." <laughs> And uh, Rossigator. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, there was there's that Seinfeld episode where Elaine hangs out with the Bizarro Seinfeld characters, and yeah. they're nice people. And it, but uh-huh. it was also it was like, oh yeah, there's no reason these characters can't hang out with other people, you know. <laughs> but you also see in the we were my wife and I've been watching some early episodes of Seinfeld, and you see like there are more extra characters. Like the characters will talk about other friends that they have much more than in later episodes. 
where they were just like, whatever. It's just these four people. They, oh, they're the only ones they know. They're probably like in hell, and this is, a, you know, mm-hmm. what their punishment is. They're stuck in this world. Yeah. 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 The baby episode. Got a friend for that baby. They've got another friend. Yeah, there's another friend. Or like Elaine has a roommate early yeah. on, and yeah. you never, and the character like kind of disappears after a certain point. Yeah. But also, yeah. it's really later depressing. on you notice. I don't know if you notice this, but in later episodes, later seasons, at the end, there's the production logo for Bad Robot, and at that point, I'm like, they're in purgatory. <laughs> that's the secret. <laughs> that's the. Tr- there's got to be a twist, of course. Got me again, Lindelof. <laughs> the the other thing about watching Seinfeld now is it's depressing how young the characters seem to me now. Where I'm like, watching it as a kid, I was like, oh, these are grown-ups, and they're like adults, and they're like probably like my parents' age. And now to watch it now, and for jo- there's one episode where George is like, I'm 33, da 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 da, and I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> like, this is- and I'm like, well, I am a married he, he man looks, with a child. He looks like, great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they also all dress; their clothes are crazy, which is hilarious. Anyway, Seinfeld. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. Try it. Try it out. <laughs> Maybe that's my recommendation. Oh wow. It stars the mom from Brain Smasher. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, I mean, and Terry Hatcher from Brain Smasher. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she's in two episodes. Yeah, yeah. There's an episode, so, doing my Brain Smasher, looking up, where I was just looking up what the other actors were in. Yeah. I saw that the actor who plays Wu was in an episode of Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, and I started trying to think about what his relationship with Terry Hatcher was like, like... At first, I was like, "Oh, that must have been really fun that they were on that they were reunited after being a brain smasher." And I'm like, "But maybe like one, maybe she was really like not nice to him, and they didn't get along, and now he's like, oh, I got to work with her again.' Or she was like rubbing it in his face that she was the lead on a network show, and he wasn't. Like, I just I kept getting caught up in my fan fiction of their behind the scenes interactions. I think they were having an affair. Really, you think yeah. so? Yes. Possible. I mean, yeah. it's an in, it's an intense movie. Brain Smasher? Yeah, a lot yeah. of love affairs on that set. Yeah. Like they called them the Brain Smasher babies, the babies that were born of the illicit love affairs <laughs> from behind the scenes. Sure. Uh, I think they tried to make that into a movie with Vin Diesel. We did an episode on it. Brain Smasher babies? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, it was adapted into Babylon AD, actually. Oh, that was the lost episode. Okay. Um, hey, guys. Let's do our last segment, mm-hmm. which is called Recommendations. Okay, why, why don't we do that? Uh, that Movies that we've seen recently or not so recently that we liked. Hey, do we have? Do you need a second on that? I second that motion. Okay. Can you vote on it? I think the motion is passed. And, uh, not proper procedure, but okay. I, I'll go first, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I watched a movie. <laughs> I went out and saw a little film recently called Upgrade, starring a guy who looks just like Tom Hardy. Like I seriously spent the entire film thinking that I was watching Tom Hardy, and then like oh, I thought I, that was Tom Hardy in that movie. Yeah, Logan Marshall Green. Logan oh. Marshall Green. He's. I just uh, saw the trailer, and I thought it was at first when I saw the trailer, I thought it was a trailer for Venom. Which is yeah, because like Venom, it's a, kind of a similar storyline, actually. Yeah, yeah. I would consider like this Hardy. the symbiote is a bit of an upgrade, right, guys? Sure. <laughs> I mean, uh, not with the effects in the trailer, <laughs> but. So, the effects in the trailer look like he ate too much Gushers, and that's what's <laughs> like splurting out of him all the time. Tom Hardy's normal face is scarier than that weird Venom face. You're right. <laughs> so Upgrade, though, is about a uh, you know future world where uh, Logan Marshall Green's wife 
gets uh, killed and he gets turned into a quadriplegic uh, by these street goons and he wants to take them out and he gets the opportunity to do so because he's given an upgrade (laughs) by a guy who uh, implants this stem uh, chip in his back. Okay. And uh, Dan, and I'm it, only laughing because you were. it seemed like you were really going through the motions describing the plot until you got to the upgrade, and then you were very excited about it. <laughs> and uh, so, I mean, yeah, it it's like, like you remembered, like, something awesome's about to happen. <laughs> oh, yeah, the upgrade. Cool. Um,. It's interesting though because like it's set up to be this um this normal like revenge movie and it does a few interesting things like the guy in it is <laughs> kind of not necessarily that into the idea of having revenge like he wants to go about it in like kind of a more normal way but he sort of gets forced into taking revenge in an in interesting way and so it's uh, a real seeking justice is what you're saying. Uh no, I'm not saying that at all. Uh, and it takes... Is it like like an I spit on your grave? No. no. (laughs) It's a real Mr. Payback. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. None of these are accurate. Um, Okay, is it just Payback then? (laughs) Yes, it's exactly like Payback, the remake of uh, Point Blank. Um, No, it's... uh, It does some things that are... Like, the movie is dumb in the best way. But it does some, like, things that are smart in ways that I didn't expect. Like, for instance, there's a cop character who's on the tail of the lead character who's a lot brighter than cop characters in these type of movies are. And she actually, you know, like, really kind of is on him from the start. And the guy who gives him the upgrade is not just like, (laughs) I'm going to give you this technology and I'm going to, like, let it go. He's like... No, I'm going to give you this technology, and I'm going to monitor what the hell you're doing with it, uh, which is kind of an interesting wrinkle to what goes on in the movie. And the movie just surprises me in a lot of ways. Like it, it goes places that I'm not, I wasn't suspecting, and it feels like a really kind of grungy 1980s style, low budget uh, kind of uh, uh, science fiction movie with even like a few horror overtones, and it's really splattery and gross in a certain way that I wasn't expecting, and it's just a lot of fun. And so if you like B-movies of a kind that they don't really make anymore, I recommend Upgrade. Yeah, I think this one's up my alley. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, I think think you would like it, Stu. I'll go next. Uh, I'm uh, going to recommend a movie I saw recently that I probably should have watched a while ago. uh, And that's uh, Macon Blair's movie, I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore, I think is the title. It's a very long one, and I could have fucked it up. Uh, Macon Blair is a longtime collaborator with uh, Jeremy Saulnier, or Saulnier, who made uh, previous Stuart Wellington recommendations, Murder Party, Green Room, and Blue Ruin. Uh, this, uh, this movie stars Melanie Linsky, who is, I don't know, I feel like one of the most underrated working actors out there. Like, I think yes, it's kind of... Right. It's kind of criminal that she hasn't gotten all the awards for everything because she's always great. Uh, she So she plays the lead, and she plays a woman kind of stuck in a life 
that she is doesn't seem particularly happy with, and she's going through the motions. And she's you might kinda, you might even say she doesn't feel at home in this world anymore. You might even say that. I mean, it, <laughs> I, I wouldn't say that. Um, and she's kind of like woken up out of this by uh, by somebody burglarizing her home. And that leads her down a path where she uh, gets mixed up with some uh, stuff that happens. I'm trying to be vague because I think she gets an upgrade. (laughs) That upgrade's name is Elijah Wood, uh, (laughs) who is fun in the movie. And there's also – there's – and it's Megan Blair – Obviously shares uh, a sensibility with Jeremy Saulnier. So, like, when violence happens, it is shocking and horrible um, and splattery, Dan. and uh, I like splattery. And I also want to point out that the uh, the one of the villains is played by David Yao from The Jesus Lizard, who uh, does this great, like, crazy performance. And it reminds me a bit of uh, Dwight Yoakam from Panic Room in that I was like, like just super freaked out by this guy. I don't know. It's hard to explain. Uh, but yeah, uh, if you liked if you liked any of the movies that I've mentioned in this recommendation, uh, you should totally watch it. And it's on Netflix. So just watch it, dummy. Mm. Okay. Uh, April, have you seen anything recently that you'd recommend? Or yeah, in general? I, don't, I mean, did you guys already recommend Re- Revenge? Or on any of your episodes? No. Not yet. I keep meaning to watch it, but I haven't had a chance. Revenge is... I, okay, so I'm a huge fan of rape revenge movies. Uh, and studying them and being like... Uh, taking a feminist lens and, and looking at why they exist and what their functional purpose is. This one is um, directed by Coralie Fargiat, and it is amazing. It is like... How do I, it's equal parts like suspenseful and then just what the fuck. Like you think it's going to go on a normal trajectory of a rape revenge movie and then things just get fucking insane. There's like a self-surgery scene. She brands herself. There's like um, all of these moments of just so much blood that there's no way that any human could have that much blood. <laughs> yes. And, and there's, there's one, I have to say, there's one scene with glass in the bottom of a foot, which is both hilarious and just, I had to look away. And I never look away from movies because I watched so many of these. And I actually felt sick to my stomach and laughed at the same time. And it's brightly colored. And I, the ending is just pitch perfect. It's so good. So much blood. Wait, oh, the God. ending turns into the movie Pitch Perfect? <laughs> yes. Yeah. It turns into a movie, uh, which is Drew Barrymore, correct? Right? <laughs> no, no, that's no. Uh, that's that. That's one. never been kissed. <laughs> that's, or the, and she was in that one with with uh, the Jimmy Fallon, right? Yeah, Jimmy Fallon. Where they're, they're Red Sox no, fans. No, yeah, no Fever Pitch. Sorry, Fever, Fever Pitch. Pitch. Yeah, yeah. Fever Pitch. Oh, so let, it's perfect. Is the is the Anna Kendrick acapella uh, uh, acapella music series. That's what that's called. <laughs> 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 wow! Wow! Somebody, somebody slapped on the DVD box. That's what that's called. That's what it's April called. Wolf. Rave, April Wolf. <laughs> you can tell what movies I review. Yeah. Uh, it's not. 
Yeah. <laughs> my, I remember my mom's review of Pitch Perfect 2, which was, she texted me, she goes, I saw your friends John Hodgman and Jason Jones in a movie. Wasn't very good. It's <laughs> 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 like, well, I guess I'll tell my friends that you didn't like the movie they did for money. <laughs> but, I have a lot of friends who love those movies. I, I think that I I prefer a lot of blood mm-hmm. to the film. Basically. So revenge. Revenge. Please watch Revenge. I think it's I think it's streamable. Yeah, it is. What's I've it streaming been, on? Uh, like I don't know, Amazon or your cable package. Oh, okay. Yes. I know you can. Demand. You can definitely rent it from iTunes. I've considered doing so multiple times. Yeah, su- support gross movies. Mm-hmm. I feel like that would be your your celebrity charity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna recommend. The movie that I think I wasn't thinking of it this way, but now I am. I think it's maybe the 1940s version of Brain Smasher, a love story in some ways. It's not, don't get too excited. It's not really, the, the, but which is a movie called Journey into Fear, starring Joseph Cotton with Orson Welles in a small part. And then there's just like all the, uh, all the other people who were in kind of the Orson Welles Mercury Theater acting group. And Joseph Cotton is an American uh, munitions worker, executive who's in Europe, World War II has broken out. It's 1943, and someone wants to kill him. And it's just kind of him on the run, interacting with various kooky characters, uh, and never really understanding what's going on at any given point. And there's, it's, this movie, it's super short. It's like an hour and 15 minutes. And it feels like one of these beat-the-devil-type movies where they're just kind of like making it up as they went and enjoying it themselves. And there's a really great final action scene where it's a shootout on a in the rain on a ledge outside of a building where Joseph Cotton is you're you're supposed to believe that Joseph Cotton is going to have trouble taking down who, what is maybe the fattest assassin I've ever seen in a movie but uh <laughs> but it's like, I don't know Dan Aykroyd was in Gross Point Blank No no right? he's bigger than yeah, come yeah, on yeah. that's I mean sure okay that's a okay fair point but uh I know you when you think of when you think of Dan Aykroyd, you probably think of Ray Stance from the real Ghostbusters cartoon. But that's not <laughs> what he looks like. I guess he is <laughs> kind of fat, too, in that one. <laughs> that's, like, that's not what he looks like now. He's not even a cartoon anymore. <laughs> now, I know if you're me, when you think Dan Aykroyd, you think of a Beldar from the Coneheads movie. He doesn't look like that anymore. He had his head sanded down. Now, if you're like me... I know what you're thinking. Dan Aykroyd, you're thinking of Exit to Eden. He doesn't have a mustache anymore. He shaved it off. He doesn't have that. <laughs> He's no uh, longer wearing bondage gear. All the time. Yeah. Uh, but it's the same way that Brain Smasher is like a very late I think Exit early... to Eden is similar to Brain Smasher in that I think the <laughs> only way you can watch it is by renting it on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> or, having a, or having a fever dream. <laughs> yeah. Now all I can imagine is what if Dollman showed up in Exit to Eden? What a, <laughs> oh, a strange me- movie that would be. Yeah, he ends up painting Rosie O'Donnell's house at the end. <laughs> <laughs> That's a movie. Exit to Eden is very of its time in that it has a jewel robbery plot line mm-hmm. at a time where it was like, well, we're doing a comedy. I guess somebody's going to steal some jewels. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. How else are we going to have a comedy plot if, so- if there's no jewels that get stolen? The same yeah. way that... Uh, Whenever characters in a sitcom would go overseas in a sweeps week episode or movie, they'd always get mixed up with spies. Like, 
I don't know how we're going to explain that the Family Ties crew is in Europe unless they get mixed up with spies at some point. Like, someone's luggage has got to get mixed up with some spies. I feel like that did, like, wonders for, like, travel che- traveler's checks or something. Because every time people went overseas, they're like, it's a hotbed of intrigue over there. <laughs> I want to protect my cash with these traveler's checks. Yes. Uh, so anyway, the same way that Brain Smasher is, like, a, is a... Very fun, but pretty dumb, kind of late 80s, early 90s type of direct-to-video action movie. Uh, Journey into Fear is a very fun, but kind of dumb, but uh, 40s spy thriller in a way that, like, the movie, you can tell that it's like, the movie doesn't really care that much whether the what the spy thriller is, and the characters and not, never quite know what's going on. And, and you're, not, it's, you're not talking about Wages of Fear. No, not Wages of Fear, the movie about... Truckers who are moving explosives through a jungle. That's very okay. different. That's a very different movie. <laughs> okay, I got Sorcerer, confused. Sorcerer, which Sorcerer, I've, I've yeah. never seen. But, oh, it's but, great. But uh, Journey into Fear, which is it, it's it feels like they took a they took a real spy story and then like joked it up, you know, in a way where nobody really knows what's going on, nobody really cares, but it looks really good. Joseph Cotton is great as a kind of Wait. like a bumbling hero. Is that the one that ends with the thing about the cake? No, no, that's Ministry of Fear. Oh, okay. Ministry of Fear is a great movie, too. Ministry of Fear, the first half hour of that is so creepy to me because the guy, Ray Milland, wins a cake at a village kind of like fair, and then he leaves, and everyone's trying to kill him, and he has no idea why. And as soon as they explain what the deal is with the cake, it stops being quite as creepy. But then, yeah, he's he has to he's an ordinary guy who I think, I forget what, he's, what kind of trauma. He was just released from a mental institution. Now he's being chased by people, and they're shooting at him, and he has to kill a man at the end. And it ends with a joke about what he's going to serve at his wedding. <laughs> like, <laughs> the, same, the same way that The Uninvited, also with Ray Milland, is a genuinely scoopy go- s- scoopy. Genuinely <laughs> spooky. It's, it's made of ice cream. So. It's also it's a, scoopy. <laughs> it's, a, it's a genuinely spooky ghost movie that ends with a, a mother-in-law joke. It's like, Ray Milland, I don't know what's with your movies. They always have a, I wonder if Ray Milland was like, look. My thing is I end all my movies with a bad, like, kind of hacky joke. And Billy Wilder's like, I don't want to end Lost Weekend with, like, a hacky joke about, like, oh, boy, I'm going to have a headache tomorrow. And Ray Milland's like, well, I'm walking off the picture then. Like, I don't – and Billy Wilder's like, look, we'll just shoot it. We'll cut it from the final version of the movie. He'll never know. And then at the premiere, I imagine Ray Milland is sitting next to, like, I don't know, like Betty Davis or something. And he keeps nudging her in the ribs with his elbows, like, pretty rough stuff. But watch out. It's going to be funny in the end. Like, watch out. Here it comes. And then the movie cuts to the end without the joke. And Ray Milland is pissed. He's like, what the fuck? Like, what happened? And Betty Davis is like, just settle down, Ray. And he's like, this is an outrage. And probably tries to fight Billy Wilder and, like, I don't know. So, you know, one of... Some like who's I don't know what really big movie star who has to stop Ray Milland would be there but, like a tall guy Gary Cooper maybe I don't know. Uh, uh. Anyway, so uh, Journey into Fear or go see Ministry of Fear. That's really good. And by go see, I mean stream it from somewhere. It's not in the theaters right now. Yeah. It's a seventy-year-old movie. Yeah, go to your local library and ask to borrow the movie. Yeah, don't take my word for You're it. Going to Deadpool two and you demand to see Ministry of Fear. Yeah. <laughs> Go to Deadpool 2, whip out your smartphone, and watch Ministry of Fear on it. I feel like... Yeah, really loud, too. Oh, man. All right. Uh, Well, this has been great, guys. And I mean that sincerely, even though every time you say, this has been great, guys, it sounds ironic. 
Uh, sounds like you're about to dump us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's been great, but um, Dan's met a different podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's about basketball. Dan's into basketball now. <laughs> <laughs> it's called The Dunk like- House. The Dunk House. They drink Dunkin' Donuts and talk about basketball. Yeah. And Dunkin' yeah. Come on, I'm, d- continue the bit, Dan. I started it. <laughs> no, Dan, I mean, no, yes, no, and this shit. No, I was just, I was thinking about how great it would be to do a podcast where I was eating Dunkin' Donuts and drinking Dunkin' Donuts coffee. Uh-huh. Hey, but Dan, let me, other... let me, let me just tell, let me tell you, that's within your power. <laughs> okay. You don't have to wait till you find a genie's lamp to make that happen. <laughs> Don't don't lie awake at night just wishing. Oh, if only, if only I lived in a world where I had a podcast where I ate Dunkin' Donuts and drank the coffee. <laughs> if only, but I guess this is a veil of tears that we that we exist in. That's too beautiful for this world. I suppose maybe in the next one, somewhere there's some alternate universe where the stars align just right, and that universe is Dan McCoy gets to do a Dunkin' Donuts podcast. But here, it just wasn't meant to be. Right. It's not in the cards, Dan, you say as you look in the mirror at yourself. Sure, sure, we'd all like those kinds of things, but if wishes were fishes, you know what I mean? All right. All right. Well, you make good... Wow, those inspiring words. You make, you make a good point. So, Dan, Dan, you go out and you make that happen. You make that Dunkin' Donuts podcast. All right. Thank you. Uh, well, in well the meantime, April, thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was, hey, before it was we fun. I, <laughs> I forgot. Sometimes I was on it. I was just excited to listen. <laughs> oh, thanks. Thank you. That's uh, kind of how I feel most of the time, April. <laughs> and I just I think of reality as a TV show that I'm the star of, so I'm always talking. <laughs> April, is there anything you want to plug? Yes, there's a lot of things I would like to plug. Please uh, plug them. <laughs> Um, how about the podcast? I'll mention those again so that Max Pond likes me. Um, uh, you should listen to Switchblade Sisters. I've yes. i a lot of w- women filmmakers about their favorite genre film, and that's very fun. Uh, I have no idea what would be on the episode coming out when this comes out, but it will be very fun. Uh, I mean, there, then, there's a lot available, so they, people can just there's a they lot. Can listen to whatever yeah, they want to. you can go to. back into the back catalog and really dig in uh we do a lot of craft talk so if you're into nerdy stuff where you get to learn how films are made that's kind of my area and then who shot you is another podcast uh with movies stuff and that's hosted by ricky carmona who is a very funny man yeah and i get to be uh basically the straight woman on that and interject with uh trivia and facts <laughs> because that's what i'm really good at <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I understand about being the straight person. So it's, it's, a, it's a valuable thing. Dan, stop talking about that stuff right now. All right. Uh, <laughs> this is April's time to shine. Yeah, all right. Dan's <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I know what that's like. I, I was going to do a Dunkin' Donuts podcast, but, uh, <laughs> but these assholes I'm so busy with this one. Back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, off camera, you can see Stuart, Stuart Nelly being like, mm, I don't know if you can handle a Dunkin' Donuts podcast, dude. You got a lot on your plate. <laughs> uh, is there anything else you want to plug before we go? No. Okay. That was very definitive. Yeah. Even the idea of plugging other things. It's too much. I don't want to. 
All right. We won't force you to then. Um, although I don't know what that would look like. It's like oh. demanding you plug something. Come up with a product. <laughs> Talk about how good it is. Uh, yeah, so this has been great, guys. Thank you, as Dan, always. Dan, are you breaking up with us? For being here. Uh, but we got to go now, as we always do. <laughs> Because otherwise we'll be in your ears forever. That's true. Podcasting. I Dan and I, Dan and I have been drinking, okay? Dan and, yeah, Dan and I have been drinking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. What, what? Do you want to build a rapport with me, Dan? No, I, I, me? We've, been, <laughs> we've been hanging out for the last hour. If the rapport hasn't been built, then we're in deep trouble. <laughs> yeah, and you've yeah, known yeah. each other for, what, about 20 years now? Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, wow. Is that true? I don't know. How old are you? I guess so. (laughs) I mean, almost 20 years. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad we got to the fucking bottom of this one. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.